I am William Castle. I feel obligated to warn you that some of the sensations, some of the physical reactions which the actors on the screen will feel will also be experienced by certain members of this audience. I say certain members because well, some people are more sensitive to these mysterious electronic impulses than others. These uh, unfortunate, sensitive people will at times feel a strange, tingling sensation. Others will feel it less strongly. But don't be alarmed, you can protect yourself. At any time you are conscious of a tingling sensation, you may obtain immediate relief by screaming. Don't be embarrassed about opening your mouth and letting rip with all you've got, because the person in the seat right next to you will probably be screaming too. And remember this, a scream at the right time may save your life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bloody Bits Horror Show. I am your host, Eddie the Axe Jefferson, and joining me this week, uh uh-oh, Grind Bin All-Star, Bobby Trippett. Oh man, what a I'm honored uh, not only to be on this show but to be referred to as such. This is this is great, Eddie. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So I mean, it, you're secretly the best host of the grind bin. I, oh, thank I, you. I I'm, I'm, I'm a sometimes host, please. The sometimes, yeah, the occasional host is the guy. <laughs> I that, think I've that, missed two in the last three years, so I'm a sometimes host. The guy that reviewed it said. <laughs> But you know we can't we cannot trust the reviewers of the Grindbin podcast. They are famously liars. <laughs> and honestly all of the fans uh, as well, as I'm sure the fans of your show are. Yeah, terrible horrible people. So, Bobby, Sir. thank you so much for joining us and thank you for being the first person to not just come out and say, "Hey, I've got a movie that I want to discuss." Yeah. While I appreciate it, while I enjoy it, and we've covered such subjects as They Live, um, we've got The Howling that's already been out, we've got The Shining that'll be out by the time you've heard this, and a a very long episode of uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street that is still being edited. That's a big pain in the ass. (laughs) <laughs> you you chose to go a different path, and I love that. Well, thank you. I, I did. I, I I felt a little concerned after I made my choice because I felt like, you know, when you're on the internet and you see those, if you could pick just one of blank, 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 what would it be? And there's always the a-hole who shows up and he lists like seven things. Uh, I felt like I'd done that to you. And, and it's an interesting <laughs> pick, actually. So, Bobby, what what's your selection? What is it that you want to talk about well, today? I wanted to pick something that you know was very formulative for me as a, as a younger man. And one mm-hmm. thing that hit very hard because it came at just the right time in my life was um, the films of Dark Castle Entertainment that came out right at the turn of the millennium. Yeah, so Dark Castle Entertainment, 1999. Let's let's talk about a 1999 Bobby Trippett. Where were you? What was going on in your life? 1999 Bobby Trippett. Who had recently abducted you. <laughs> yeah, at this point, <laughs> I was six years removed from the child abduction story that I shared last time you were on my show. Yep. And um, I'm, uh, I'm 16 years old, and uh, I, I may or may not have started working uh, 
making blizzards at Dairy Queen. Okay. You know, it depends on the month. But uh, I know at 16, I I was I was in high school. I was a junior, I believe, and I was just uh, starting to branch out into the into the workforce. And you know, I'm I'm starting to take interest in becoming a man. Taking interest in becoming a man. Well, sure, because at 16, you're not there yet. But you know, uh, I've mentioned this before uh, in previous times we've spoken, Eddie. Is I was a real new metal kid, so the stuff had to be uh, real aggro. Stuff had to had to have some distortion to it for me to take any interest in it at all. You know, if it wasn't loud and angry, I wanted no part of it. Yeah, and and I mean, I guess this is just a good teaser for our uh, our new metal podcast that we have coming out here, <laughs> the two gents of Verona. Uh, <laughs> no, um, so that that's that's so interesting. So, sixteen years old, you're working potentially at at a Dairy Queen. So. Man, when I was 16, I was working in my in my cousin's restaurant, and I was listening to 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 death metal uh, and working as a cook. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, man. So this must have just hit you, 16, man. That's just just the right time. I mean, I I think it's precisely who these films were for. Oh, truly. I mean, especially like we'll get into it, but that that second movie they came out with, a hundred percent. Hundred percent. Oh yeah, and that's. I mean, we will get into the individual titles, but yeah, the second one was the one that that hit me like an arrow to the chest. That was the one, and you know, or to the forehead, or to the forehead is very accurate. Um, I gotta say, you know, too. Obviously, on the rewatch now, you know, you know, as I'm rounding the corner to forty years old, I'm far from sixteen. Mm. Uh, obviously, they don't. It doesn't hit like it used to, you know. But uh, no. But these meant a lot to me at that point. No, never. It never does. So I'm oh, I'm slightly old than you not not a lot not by much I, is what not. i understand right in uh in 99 what were you in 99 i would have been 18 oh that's that's not far off that's that's Barely. a pretty good age for that too but a little little different the interests are probably slightly yeah. slightly skewed older and my wife would have been 11 so we'll not get into that uh <laughs> well sure i don't want the cops knocking down your door well no she's she's of age now. It's, <laughs> it's fine 1999, Dark Castle Entertainment is formed by Joel Silver, Robert Zemeckis, and Gilbert Adler, as well as... Susan Levin. Susan Levin. Uh, Dark Castle Entertainment's name is paying kind of homage to one William Castle. Absolutely, and he is very significant for anybody who who might not. I mean, anyone listening to a horror podcast probably already knows who he is, but just for anyone who doesn't, uh, he's been referred to as the P.T. Barnum of horror. Yeah, very, very fairly so, too. Like, if you've ever seen that movie The Majestic starring uh, John Goodman, it was kind of inspired by him. Absolutely. And uh, also in 1990, there's a, a dirtier film. I don't mean dirty as in pornography. I just meant a little rougher around the edges. Film called Popcorn that definitely pays homage oh, to yes, the yes, yes. the kinds of films that he made. Yeah, absolutely great stuff. Go go check both of those out. So William Castle was a horror filmmaker in the 50s and in the 60s, and he actually kind of got his start uh, when he was 15 years old. So very very close to a young Bobby, uh, he went to the theater and had seen Dracula and was kind of taken in by the allure and the mystique of the the theater and and he decided well uh dad gummit i'm just gonna drop out of school and and join the theater i mean it's a it's a good way to go honestly for the time period why not 
Well, yeah, and for him especially, because, I mean, clearly it worked out for him. (laughs) So I actually wasn't really very familiar with with Dark Castle Entertainment. I'm one of those heathens that while I love horror and and it's in my veins, uh, the title cards for some of these companies, they kind of flash by and I'm like, yep, oh, there's another one of them. William Castle, absolutely familiar with, but not not so much Dark Castle until you brought it up and I said, I'm going to go ahead and do a little bit of a dive into who they are and where they come from. So they, they were first formed with the goal of remaking Castle's horror films, right? Absolutely, with the added caveat that they were going to incorporate into these films, the remakes, at least a nod, if not a uh, a recreation of some of the gimmicks he would put into his films. Because that was the thing that really got his name on the map, was not just I make horror films, but he wanted to do gimmicks to get people into the theater. Yeah, yeah, and hence the P.T. Barnum of, of uh, horror cinema in, in, in that era. And, and he had some incredible gimmicks that that's funny too because the the characters that he writes are very gimmicky themselves as well so the the uh the first one of his pictures that was big that had the big gimmick would would have been the first one they remade which is the house on haunted hill absolutely it was the first really silly one he had done macabre the year before where he had uh guaranteed a thousand dollar life insurance policy for anyone who dies watching (laughs) his film which is a which is a great gimmick you know it's an easy one to do yeah he had to t- he had to up the ante the following year with Wind House on Haunted Hill. So what he decided on Eddie was Emergo, mm-hmm. and that's with an exclamation point, of course. Of course. But he never specified what Emergo was until in the uh, in the big climax of the film, I mean, arguably the scariest point of the film, mm-hmm. a uh, inflatable glow in the dark skeleton rose up into the crowd. <laughs> Yeah, it was hooked up to wires and it flew over the crowd. And uh, I mean, but for the time, that that's uh, that's adding like a little extra bang to your buck uh, on your movie going experience. I don't, I I never had any sort of a movie going experience that that mirrored anything like that. It's uh, nowhere near that for me. I've uh, you know I've been to some pretty wild screenings of things that incorporated mm-hmm. you know some uh, some chicanery, you know, some running around. Okay, but uh, but certainly nothing where a, a large item would appear no no the craziest shit i've ever been to is like your uh like like i don't know i lived up in uh, chico california for a little while which if you're not familiar with it you know how berkeley's kind of a party school yeah famously town yeah yeah they always threaten the kids in berkeley if you fuck up too bad we'll send you up to chico <laughs> Uh, so I, I lived up there for quite a while and I, I would go, they had midnight movies there for a long time, which of course they were illegally screening films. And it was things like the big Lebowski where it's like, Hey, it's white Russian night. So they're serving white Russians and you purchase those and then you're not paying to see the movie, you know, and they do the Rocky horror, of course. Naturally. Was it like a shadow cast type situation where you got actors acting out stuff? No, no, it was them screening the film, but you know how it is with audience participation. And, and I think that was the the most of the uh, kind of over-the-topness I ever really saw in the theaters. Though though I was uh, uh, young or old enough to, to go to drive-ins, which are making their modern resurgence, thankfully. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm glad of this. It's something I wanted back, you know, long before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, there's something about that experience that that's missing. Uh, especially, I mean... I mean, you're one of the hosts of the Grind Bin. The the double feature is is the what, what created the Grindhouse film, really. Absolutely, and uh, 
it's about time we started getting those B movies again. I think we kind of have them. If you if you go on like your shutters or your two Bs or your your kind of less well known streaming services, there, there's a little bit of a resurgence of the B movie. And I often wonder about those films, like if it's just a matter of environment as far as the way they're received, because you know, you know people slag those. You know the the cheap, you know, quickie movies that are put out onto the streaming services that just come and go, and people are like, well, that was terrible, you know? But, like, how would that be received if it's late at night at the drive-in and you're tired and it comes on? You know, like, you know, it's like when you have a group of friends together watching a bad movie and you're having a great time, as opposed to sitting by yourself watching this on your TV. Yeah, I think what we could do, though, during this pandemic, and I hope people do it, is there's a lot of shared movie viewing experiences going on now where you, where you're able to stream it in in a little like voice chat room with your friends and i think horror especially really really benefits from being a shared experience oh certainly there's nothing like feeling a crowd react to a horror film oh absolutely a great one or a bad one honestly either way yeah i mean it it's like you said it's uh sometimes it's not the the food but it's the plate that it's being served on it's Certainly. Uh, I had the pleasure at an all-night horror-thon in Santa Monica, California, mm -hmm. a few years back, of watching a William Castle movie with a, a, a packed crowd of rowdy filmgoers. Oh, man. Uh, we didn't have the gimmick, of course, but we got to what? watch uh, The Tingler. Oh! <laughs> at, at, I want to say it was an all-night horror-thon, so The Tingler came on, I want to say, at like one in the morning. Wow. You know, and uh, yeah, and man, and when it gets to, you know, you have to scream at the end and like an entire room is screaming at one in the morning yeah. and just throwing their popcorn around. It was it was a hell of an experience. Oh, that's phenomenal. I, I would love to, to have that experience, man. That's so great. So with House on Haunted Hill, we, we discussed the, the gimmick of the, the inflated red skeleton that was attached to wires that would fly over the crowd. And then eventually people figured that out and. They would throw things like their popcorn containers or, or cans or whatever to try to knock the skeleton down. Of course, there's always that guy. Yeah, there's the guy that's trying to fuck it up for everybody. You know, the following year when they did The Tingler, they did that one presented in Percepto! Exclamation point, mm -hmm. Which was literally, uh, they've rigged some seats to buzz. A little, a, a mild electric shock. Which I'm sure wasn't even a shock. I'm sure it was just like a vibrating chair. Yeah, so this is, this is now. Like, we have this now. This is... You're, you're a, a 4D experience movie is where, where the, the I think the last one I saw was uh, the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse where the seat she, she, like shakes. Oh, I, you caught it in the enhanced experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So every time middle-aged Spider-Man came on screen, you got a shock, <laughs> a little zap to your bottom. Yeah, a little zap to the bottom. It just kept me interested. Oh, hey, wait a minute. There's uh, there, there's the old fat Spider-Man. Now, that, that's a phenomenal Spider-Man, by the way. Oh, no, it's far and away the best one in that series. Absolutely. No, it's not, it's not one series, but the best Spider-Man put to, put to film. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Much like I'd argue the best Batman was an animated one. Uh, just the animated series? Well, I, was gonna, I was specifically going Mask of the Phantasm, I think still oh, okay. beats out just about all the live-action ones. Yeah. I... As much as I am a fan of the Burtons. I mean, maybe I'm wrong here. It's close. I think it's maybe a close number two behind Batman Returns in my heart. Yeah. Burton's, I, I caught those in the theaters as well. Again, one of those experiences you had to be there. So then after this, we have 13 Ghosts. Mm -hmm. The very next year. He's consistent. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. just like bang, 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 putting one out each year. And 13 Ghosts uh, is perhaps my favorite of his gimmicks. Uh, there was a Ghost Finder. Yeah, it's a brilliant gimmick. Yeah. 
And it's a, he called it Illusiono with an exclamation point. I like, you know, the marketing was important. Everything with an exclamation point. I love that about him. <laughs> and uh, I want to get one of these because I know that there's still a few around mm -hmm. uh, from the original run of the Ghost Finder. And the way it worked is similar to 3D glasses. You had the, the blue strip of, uh, uh, what kind of material would that have been? Like a cellophane? Yeah, we... cellophane. And uh, you'd have a blue strip and a red strip. And through, I believe it was the blue strip, you could see the ghosts. But if you're getting a little too scared, you switch to looking through the red strip on the viewfinder and the ghosts are gone. Yeah, so he would, um, and I think it was John Waters in the documentary was talking about. Are you speaking of uh, Spine Tingler? Yes. The documentary? Yes, Spine Tingler. There was a great documentary. I saw that theatrically, by the way. Wow. It screened at the Newport Beach Film Festival. And uh, I, I was lucky enough to go catch it. There were maybe three other people in the theater at the time, but it was like my favorite thing from that festival. That's but do go on. That's so incredible. I, I think it was John Waters that was talking about that he had seen that. And uh, he, he was talking about just, just the experience of it and, and how it was like a man came on to the screen and talked to him and, and said, hey, and of course it was uh, uh, William Castle said, hey, you know, if you believe in ghosts, then you should look through the blue. And if you don't believe in ghosts, then you should look through the red to, to not to not see them. And they, they kind of play with that a little bit in the remake of the 13 Ghosts, but but you don't. I mean, it's not the same experience. They but, try but, to incorporate it a little bit. We'll, we'll get we'll get more yes. into that when we when we talk about that film. But uh, absolutely, how great must that have been that experience for for a young John Waters? And I oh wish I could God. go back and and experience that. You know. Because I think yeah. he pioneered the uh, filmmaker walks out to introduce the movie. I know it predates uh, Hitchcock doing it. It absolutely does, yeah. And in fact, Hitchcock has has said that that was part of the inspiration of of, of his presents. Oh, certainly, kind of idea. And also, that's uh, you know, that explain to explain the gravity of William Castle. He is the one who inspired Hitchcock to make Psycho, which begat Black <sighs> Christmas, which begat Halloween. So Which, without William Castle, you don't have the slasher genre. Yeah. You don't have any of that. You know, so much horror came from William Castle. Yeah, it, it's completely and utterly like the the bedrock from which most most modern horror i would say is derived i mean of course. it's and it's funny even watching the the first two from dark castle there's some stuff you're like oh this is very tropey but but it's like well it's only a trope because this is where it was created yeah you know? then i th that's really all as far as uh what dark castle recreated from William Castle. Certainly, despite the plan to, you know, go through all the big ones. Yeah. It doesn't quite get to where they wanted to go. And then they kind of divert from there and, and go their own way. And they do some interesting things. There's definitely a feeling like a, a runner collapsing before the finish line with the history <laughs> of this, uh, this company. Yeah. For some uh, context, uh, Zemeckis and Silver, aside from all the big things that they're known for, you know, Back to the Future, Lethal Weapon, Forrest Gump, all, all these giant, you know, franchises and films, mm -hmm. they also were the ones who worked together to bring us the Tales from the Crypt series. One of my favorites. Absolutely. You mentioned that before on our show, that you're a, a big Tales from the Crypt fan. Huge Tales from the Crypt fan. I'm a, I'm a Tales from the Crypt fan from back, like, I was introduced to horror at a at far too young of an age, like eight, nine years old. Were you an EC Comics kid? Yeah, so Fantastic. that's where that came from. My folks were sports card 
collectors. And back in the day, it used to be that cards and comics were housed in the same facility. Uh, so I would go and I would pick up as many EC comics as I possibly could because it was horror. That That's what I what I adored. Yeah. So I initially got involved and in, in, in interested into the, the Tales from the Crypt, the Vault of Horror, all of that. Uh, shock, suspense, stories, the science fiction ones. And then uh, you've got the Tales from the Crypt series on HBO, which, oh my god, I, I my, my father again was pirating hbo so <laughs> i would stay up late at night or record all of them and it's like okay well here's dream on so there's some some boobs i can look at and now it's time for uh, tales from the crypt I, I know i remember that feeling so well of staying up because i was far too young for it and i remember being afraid of the intro <laughs> as you're as you're moving through the crypt keeper's house you know and yeah. uh and tensing yeah. up because I knew we were getting close to where that coffin's going to fling open. Which is interesting because filming some episodes of Tales from the Crypt was actually the inspiration for a couple of these uh, movies here. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It very much ties back to that. I feel like we'd have a lot to talk to Zemeckis about. I think so. Like if we if we had lunch with Zemeckis, I feel like it would be, be, be a conversation we'd all very much enjoy. It would be like the Chris Farley show. I'd be like, you remember, you remember when you guys made that Tales from the Crypt episode, Carry On Death? <laughs> and he'd be like, I, I guess. That, I mean, it's one of them. But... That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> remember that one where you brought back Humphrey Bogart? so good yeah so that was cool it was around the time of forrest gump but uh <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah. zemeckis is this massive william castle fanboy he's gone on record saying it's his favorite director of all time wow he's always been into it and he specifically wanted to create a company that sole purpose was remaking castle's films with like next level special effects kind of not just to do what castle did gimmick wise but to in honor of him kind of try and try and offer something a little beyond a regular theater going experience with these films mm-hmm. uh in his actual quote i got from an article you know right around 99 when it was starting he said straight up and it's almost paraphrasing castle himself you know for the turn of the millennium zemeckis said quote i want to scare the shit out of people <laughs> yeah exactly i want to scare the pants off of people that's uh that's the william castle quote yep, yep. they use in spine tingler and his uh, i think it's autobiography was called that i want to scare the pants off of people absolutely because that that was the uh when he was 15 he saw dracula and he met bella lugosi that's the guy who got him into the film industry was uh yeah he was inspired to just scare the shit out of people uh that's beautiful it's perfect yeah, I mean, they named the fucking company after him. That's of course. And I imagine if you if you if you heard his pitch and he's saying these things, and like, how could you not greenlight this? How could you not be like, yeah, let's let's do it? Well, that's why I do what I do with this podcast. Is I want people to come in here and bring in something in horror that they feel passionate about. Because goddamn it, you can't passion sells itself. You know, <laughs> always. That's something my wife likes to say. It's a thing that she's brought up before. Is that she'll she would love to listen to anybody go off about any subject as long as it's something that they're very passionate about like there are no boring subjects if you're talking to someone who's all about it oh yeah totally totally that's why ted talks are so compelling absolutely even though it's usually not a not a subject matter that i'd be interested in but you still you can't help but listen we all want to be fans and uh for you know context of the time period we're looking at uh you know he's putting these ideas together in you know 97 98 to get ready for mm-hmm. 99 when the film comes out where was horror at this point eddie 
in 99 i mean just prior to 99 looking at like the post scream era of oh horror. yeah yeah so we were meta we we were yeah, post scream i mean we were talking like what like disturbing behavior yeah we're in maybe um, the second or third last summer movie yeah uh you know we're, we're the you know the big slasher resurgence that came out of scream did not last no you know it was maybe no. two years and then eh you know, fell off the track. Yeah, horror was not doing well. We were pre-torture porn, post-meta. We got the Wishmaster running around. Oh, you know, we're, we're on the street to video Candyman's. Yeah. All the major characters are off the table at this point. You know, the icons of horror. Yeah, Leprechaun, where was Leprechaun at this point? In the hood or space? I think Leprechaun's still hanging out in space at this point. I don't think he okay. hit the hood until after 2000. Okay. Okay. But, uh, so yeah, it's a rough time, and, uh, I feel, and I felt at the time very much, uh, when this first one came out, and certainly when the second one came out, that we're, we're going further back. You know what? We're, we're shaking the edge of sketch here. This, uh, self-aware, winky-winky horror stuff is, uh, it's not the way anymore. No. Like, we need to go old school with it. We need to, like, have a, have a horror film that, that takes itself seriously, and is immersive, and is, yeah. and is chilling. You know, I don't. We don't, and we're kind of getting away from these these teeny these teeny boppers hanging out at their house parties until some dude who's seen every horror movie shows up. Yeah, the the self aware stuff was good, and it was the grunge to the hair metal. But now now we're getting into the um, I don't know. I guess the swing resurgence. <laughs> uh, I I don't know the rockabilly. Maybe this is the rockabilly of horror. I could see that, or, or, or what I've said, you know, when we were talking earlier is. Uh, this ties so closely into the music I was listening to at the time because this mm. also hits when new metal hits. Mm-hmm. The new metal. What was yep. it 98? Was like that second corn album? Yeah. I want to say that's that's when Life is Peachy hit, and you know yeah. that's when Limp Biscuit was starting to crest. <laughs> you know we were we were getting into like there was a a societal swing for the uh, yeah. for the angry teenager. Yeah, it, it was it, it was like angst had a, a new form, and it was it was dark, dirty, and it had a seven string guitar. Absolutely, and like there was you wanted you wanted to try and strike a balance between brutal and cool, right? You know, the metal was always there. You know, mm-hmm. that you know the, the stuff you were listening to at the time was always there, and it was always gonna be. Oh yeah, your cradle of filth, and your yeah, and. uh but, like, this is around the time when they were trying to, like, you know, they were trying to dress it up a little bit, make it a little hip. You know, that's yeah. when you started getting the, uh, the, uh, that's where the term new metal came from, new urban metal. You know, it was like, we're trying to, we're going to start hitting some hip-hop beats. We're going to try and, like, the, now the cool kids are getting into metal. Yeah, we're, we're, we're packaging those power chords up, and we're, we're, uh, we're scratching some records along it. Yeah, <laughs> God, that, that first Korn album was so good. And then the second one... Not as good for me. I mean, it's. I mean, it. I mean, as long as we're talking about it, I mean, right from the start, that opening like scat that he does is very jarring and very like, <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah, what is this? It was a new thing. That's and, definitely true. And I bring all this up because mm-hmm. if you're a filmmaker who wants to hit, you know, hit the ground running, this is your target demo. Yeah. You know, because this is you know far and wide, new metal had taken over in the late '90s. So like, you need to make movies that are going to appeal to these kids and their jinkos with their wallet chains. Yeah, you've got to sell to the counterculture, who's the majority. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's always the case. <laughs> I mean, come on, uh, the clothes at Hot Topic weren't cheaper than other clothes. <laughs> Right. So with this one, with House on Haunted Hill, I don't know what your history is with it. I I saw this in the theater. Like, I was a huge horror movie guy at the time. 
I would go see anything horror that came out in the theater day one. I would try to the best I could. Bear in mind, I was 16. Mm, and yeah. so, at this, you know, I had managed to get into... I'd managed to weasel my way into Event Horizon in 97. Mm, you know, there was a few. So good. Uh, but generally, I had to... I couldn't go by myself, you know? And this, very similar to Event Horizon, very Lovecraftian. Oh, absolutely. And I love Event Horizon. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a different conversation for a different yeah. day, but that's a... We'll, we'll, we'll a, get into that another day. Yeah. I absolutely adore that movie, but um, and so I, I bring this up to so that I can lead to this little bombshell that you're going to enjoy, Eddie. I went to House on Haunted Hill with my father. Ooh, nice! Anyone who listens to the grind bin, I've mentioned my dad quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad uh, falls asleep in every movie. <laughs> so while I am just enchanted by this movie, that we'll get into more details about it in a second. Uh, I would look over to my dad, and he'd just be sawing logs with his head back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think he knows he's seen this movie. Wow. So so the uh, the big stained glass window ceiling is falling apart and raining down glass death upon people. And there's your dad sawing logs. Yeah, no problem. You know, because and he's also I'm I'm a I think because of my father I'm big on punctuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know I want to if you're there on time you're late is how I look at you know oh, yeah. social functions. But uh, and including going to the movies, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, obviously we're both cinephiles, so it's like you know, I I want to be there for the trailers. Oh yeah, you know, I want to I want to take in the whole experience of going to the movies. My dad is the kind of guy who'll show up ten minutes in <laughs> and promptly take a nap. <laughs> you know, I remember one time my dad took me to a WCW wrestling show on the beach in Huntington. Ooh. We got there just before the main event. No, yeah. <laughs> That was the, uh, it was a free show in Huntington. At least we didn't pay a bunch of money for this, but well, that's good. I spent a good portion of that afternoon trying to wake my dad up on the couch. I mean, like, the show's already started. He's like, we'll go, we'll go. And then we got there right before Hogan came out. God, and who was Hogan fighting? Oh, uh, God, that year, it may have been the giant or the big show for most people. Was he a member of the Dungeon of Doom at the time? Or... I believe so. This does predate the NWO happening. Oh. Man, so we're talking like 95, 96. Yeah, this is that era. This is when Macho Man's throwing Slim Jims around, you know. (laughs) So I used to go, uh, because I lived up in in Washington State, I used to go to Portland Wrestling. Oh, awesome. Way, way back in the day. Yeah, yes. So you're catching Roddy. Roddy, Roddy Piper, yeah, and Raven, one of my favorite wrestlers. Uh, Back when he was, uh, was it Scotty Flamingo at the time? No, before that, it was Scotty the Body. Scotty the Body, damn. Scotty the Body, yeah, yeah. God, I love that shit. And Brian Adams was up there, too. Oh, fantastic. Is this a pre-crush? Yes, pre-crush. Man, I mean, we could do a whole separate show just on that. Yeah. <laughs> we could do a, a separate uh, pre- and, and uh, during NWO-era wrestling show. <laughs> I could, but we're here to talk about House on Haunted Hill right now. We're here to talk about House on Haunted Hill. And, man, this was a good one. So, the premise is an eccentric... Uh, amusement park designer invites a group of strangers to stay the night in his haunted building and whoever stays uh well there's a million dollars per person they all get to share uh whatever's left of that for everybody who can uh who can hang out for the night no i'm not talking about mckamey manor uh which is where they torture people and call it a haunted house yeah that's a very different situation that should not be 
terrible. That's that's not a haunted house. And uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go into what the the intro of this movie is real quick. Is that they they enter uh, the building, a trap is triggered, and it locks everybody inside. Then spooky things happen. There's a whodunit twist ending, and the helpful ghost of the comedic comedic actor saves the day. <laughs> <laughs> right? We'll see if this comes up again in another movie. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll log that. <laughs> okay, to begin this movie, I, I think the intro to it is brilliant. Absolutely. Honestly. We are going to get onto the roller coaster, and it sets the expectation right here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we get onto the elevator uh, with the reporter. Isn't Lisa Loeb one of the reporters, yeah, I believe? Uh, yeah. Lisa Loeb and her assistant is somebody significant, too, and I can't recall which actor that was. That's okay. It's okay. It's not important to this story, but it's, no. a, it's a cameo by someone who goes on to do something. It's such a fascinating way that they do this. So we were setting up this expedition. Okay, it's the scariest roller coaster, whatever, blah, blah, blah. We've seen roller coasters. It appears that there is a malfunction with the uh, the elevator. They're going to crash and die, but uh-oh. Why, why Eddie, the, there's a problem. There's a malfunction. Yeah. And the elevator's going to crash. But it's not going to crash. We're, we're actually on the uh, the Tower of Terror at Disneyland. Yeah. It's screens, ladies and gentlemen. The, uh, the What you're seeing Steve below and above you are, are just uh, LCD screens. It's fascinating. Like I said, it, it sets us up for what's, what's coming up in the movie, which is we, we don't know what to trust. Absolutely. And you need that. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, bear in mind for the time, there's no movies like this right now. No. This is like nothing I'd seen at that point. I, you know, aside from some old videotapes, of course, I'd seen a lot of the William Castle stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. But as far as like something you could just go catch in the theater, it was so refreshing to see something like this. Also, we should mention uh, Jeffrey Rush, who we meet in this opening scene. Yeah. Is doing a, uh, he's doing a Vincent Price. Well, he's not trying to do a Vincent Price, but, he <laughs> but he's is nailing it. doing a Vincent Price. He was actually inspired not by vincent price here and he wasn't trying to evoke vincent price which i read that and i have a hard time believing it because this character's name is price well okay so they wrote the character to be inspired by vincent price but jeffrey rush specifically wanted to play it off like a john waters right but he looks exactly like vincent price and he's talking like vincent price like i have such a hard time believing that he didn't mean to do that yeah yeah it's it's an odd thing. I feel like he's just sort of fucking with people. He's like, you did a great Vincent Price. He's like, what? I was doing John Water. Well, the, it's the the mustache. It's all in the mustache. Well, I mean, the mustache is too thick, though, is the problem. You know what I found odd about this, too, as far as talking about the behind the scenes of this, is that uh, Zemeckis doesn't make any of these films himself. Oh, really? Like, I thought maybe he would have, you know, I would expect that he would have, being so passionate about it, want to direct one. Right. And he doesn't. They got William Malone, who had only worked on, uh, he'd worked on Tales from the Crypt with them, and mm-hmm. also, by the way, side note, Freddy's Nightmares. Oh, and if you want to hear some people talking about Freddy's Nightmares, you can go to grind or, or uh, patreon.com forward slash grindbin. <laughs> oh, you're very kind, Eddie. You don't need to and promote us on your show. Well, I mean, somebody's got to do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and take a look. You can hear me there, too, so that's cool. Absolutely. So, and they also got uh, William Castle's daughter, Terry, involved in this production. Yeah, I saw that note. I saw that, and in, in that's, that's very interesting. So I feel like they're, they're kissing all the appropriate rings here. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they, they really want to be respectful to what it's based on, but take it into the next generation. Yeah, that's the, and that's the right approach to take, right? 
I think so. You have the 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 movie. It's so interesting because it while it's modern and 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 uh, it it feels modern in, in a way that the set design, the the practical effects mixed with the the digital effects, and you've got Chris Kattan, who at the time was hot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we lose sight of that sometimes, you know, when you watch these movies back years later. But uh, Chris yeah. Kattan was a big deal at the time. You know, there was a moment when Chris Kattan was the lead and Will Ferrell was the sidekick. That's crazy. Yeah, not at the Roxbury. Yeah, like you, you, you'd say that now, and people were like, "No, no, that never." Like happened. you mentioned Chris Kattan even being in a movie now, and people were like, "No." Yeah, they've never seen Monkey Bone. Uh, <laughs> really, his finest movie, probably. Yeah. I mean, next to this one, of course. Yeah, but you've also got uh, you know, which I thought was great is uh, in these opening scenes too, Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, Jeffrey Combs again, incredible horror royalty. Yeah, yeah, you've got Bridget Wilson, mm-hmm. Tay Diggs, who's great. Tay Diggs playing an Eddie who was actually a good character. How rare is it that you have an Eddie in a movie who's not a total piece of shit? I know what a fluke. Yeah. I think they they said they did that to to, to throw us off the trail. We're like, well, clearly he's going to be revealed to be somebody terrible. Oh God, yeah, it's like even in the howling, the fucking bad guy's name was Eddie. Like, what what are what are we doing? We're, what we're doing is not naming kids Eddie anymore. I guess I guess that's a villainous name. I mean, the only good Eddie was saying, "Take me home tonight," and he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> you got Eddie Vedder, but I don't like Pearl Jam. Well, and I'm certainly not into his like I'm a folk singer now. Yeah. Yeah. Though, I mean, he's also one of the only ones who survived of that era. So maybe he had the right call to go hang out in the woods and strum a guitar instead of whatever everyone else was doing. Probably better than Scott Weiland's move. Yeah. I mean, you got to think Eddie Vedder and, like, do you think Eddie Vedder and, uh, uh, what's his name from uh, Jane's Addiction? Perry Farrell. Yeah. Did they ever meet up, have a glass of wine, and just go, I don't know, man. I, I. (laughs) I think they've got like a weird Highlander scenario where if they do meet each other, one of them will have to kill the other one. Is that what's been going on with the grunge singers this whole time? I think so, yeah. Like, we just don't realize because obviously you're not going to publicize these sorts of things. Well, they play it off suicide or or uh, drug overdose. It's a really weird Highlander where you just convince a guy to do a bunch of drugs. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, here's a shotgun. Why don't you go do some drugs? <laughs> like a peer or... pressure Highlander. Yeah. Yeah. You should do it, man. Like, please, Sean Connery, I don't have time for this. Uh, oh, let's talk about, uh, you were mentioning the special effects. Let's talk about that mm. for a second, because they do this yeah. really cool trick I hadn't seen in the film prior to this, because uh, this same year is when The Matrix hits. So we yes. got some of the effects people from The Matrix to try and, you know, break some more ground oh, and do some stuff you ain't seen before. So this was Matrix people that were, that were doing this. It's not like the, pri- it's some people associated yeah. with The Matrix. Yeah. We got a mix of people. Okay. Um, but uh, they did get a few people, especially for the stuff to do with the Jeffrey Combs character, because we're doing mm-hmm. this weird, uh, I don't know if it's an overcrank situation with the footage that causes the this, this mad doctor in this asylum to, like, shake and twitch uncontrollably in non-human ways. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool when I was 16. I was like, I need more of this in this movie, not the, uh, not the thing that comes in the, at the end of the film. I... I'll apologize for the thing that happens at the end of this film. I think it's fascinating what they did with the uh, the weird Lovecraftian smoke monster horror at the end. Inspired by a, a, a psychologist's ink blot, which is such a cool idea on yeah. paper. Like, yeah. I know when they pitched it, I'd be like, hell yes, that's how this movie is. It doesn't look great today in 1080p 
Oh, surely not. And it didn't look great then. I remember being disappointed by the ending of this film. Yeah. Well, the ending of the film, like, I don't know. I I got into this a little bit with Mike, is um, I I think William Castle has a very similar problem to Stephen King in that he is not great at ending his films. No, both of them are more idea guys. Yeah. So they're they're great at writing characters, and they're great at world building. But at some point with every one of those stories, we're just waiting for the bus, man. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I don't know, it's 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 difficult. So, and, and the other thing I would say here with House on Haunted Hill is um, you, you've got, it seems like they are, they're creating a lot of very good set pieces, right? So, so you've got you've got a lot of hallways that they're walking down. You've you've got the um, the the room that they lock the doctor into and, and the, uh, spin it the, around. And... The zoetrope freakout scene. Yeah, I think they call it the saturation room. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, at this point, I think the the idea of being in the insane asylum slash. Um, uh, haunted hospital has has maybe been played out, but you're again you're you're hearkening back to William Castle and what William Castle had done, and and this is kind of the inspiration from that episode of Tales from the Crypt, where where they said that the crew got freaked out when they were filming in a haunted or quote unquote haunted old abandoned hospital. Yeah, you, you do get that feeling. Um, one thing I like about the the general feeling of this uh, of this film as a whole with these hallways with this setup is that this felt not not only like a movie but also like a haunt attraction mm-hmm. and i think that's sort of a one of the the hallmarks of dark castle as we get through these other films is several of these feel like you are going through a haunted house attraction yeah and that feels intentional absolutely they're putting you on the rails totally and and it's something that that people have been criticized with in the video game industry with with horror is um the the like lack of choice and lack of uh, being able to explore for a horror video game, but I don't know. I think that the short like maybe eight hour curated experience for a horror video game is preferable. Surely, and 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 specifically like for scenarios like this, where like you said, it's you're very much being guided, and it's it's uh, in in first person actually in a lot of the shots. Definitely, you know, to create that feeling in the viewer. Right, exactly. You're part of it. You're, you're experiencing You're it. trapped in the haunted house. With them. Yeah. An- another thing that I think about this movie that made it stand out at the time was uh, the gore. And there's not a lot of uh, extreme gore in this one, but there is, a, very early on, there's the, the, was it the fistful of pencils getting jammed through someone's neck? Oof, yeah, that was rough. Which, what a way to open, too. Just hit him with, like, brutality immediately. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. And then you don't have to do it the rest of the movie. Yeah, but they they do it a little bit going on. I mean, you've got the wife being electrocuted mm-hmm. uh, uh, on the table. And then you've got our uh, our doctor um, getting his fucking head cut off. Yeah, that was pretty extreme. Holy shit. Yeah, and then they open the door to the saturation room and his head's just sitting there and his body slumps down and bleeds out. Ugh. Oh, oh man. Teenage Bobby, gotta gross. tell you. Popping big for that. <laughs> yeah, that was... That hit for you? <laughs> well, I mean, like that. I mean, popping isn't plotting. But uh, I think that's why when we get to the Lovecraftian inkblot ghost, uh, I was like... That's it, huh? Yeah. Which is a shame because so much work goes into that. That's that's where it gets disappointing. I I, I get you. 
I love what they were doing, though. So, so he, then, then Price throws his wife, who pretended to be dead, through a wall, and he's like, "Oh, oh shit! Like, uh, you, may, you might want to get out of there now. It's serious. Like, because you're probably gonna die." Yeah. And then now we get the uh, uh, "Holy shit, everything's real" moment because the whole time we're flirting with whether or not the supernatural thing is real or whether it's his production being yeah, the, the machinations of an eccentric. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we've already seen, like, again, with the whole elevator scene, that, that he's very good at, at tricking you, you know? Yeah. But now he's like, oh, when the minute that he gets scared, it's like, fuck, now there's, now there's a problem. Yeah. Because this is his mansion. He constructed this whole shindig, and now he's, like, fucked up. He controlled the horizontal and the vertical, and now they've both come for him. Yeah, exactly. So uh, this is where we, we get the smoke monster, I, I guess. I don't know how else to describe it. It's the botanicaled, And it's interesting. I don't know, Bobby, if you saw how they did this effect. Yeah, it's um, and it's often criticized for being a bad CG effect. And it's, the argument is that it wasn't. It was actually camera tricks they did with uh, several actresses. They, I believe they took photos, right, Eddie, that they... Uh, of several nude models mm -hmm. and just layered them over each other and did some effects with that. Am I am I close on that one? Yeah, basically. And and uh, they did that and then they mirrored them. So, right, there was mirroring involved to make yeah. it all move the way it did. Yeah, to create a weird symmetry slash... Uh, I, I think that the, the idea or, or the inspiration, if I had to bring it back to a Dungeons & Dragons world, because wow. that's where I go is the gibbering mouther, which is something that is vaguely human in form and, and uh, familiar and yet alienating at the same time. That's interesting. See, I've, I've, I've played Nary a dungeon or a dragon. Huh. It, w it was never something that... Um, it's not that it wasn't something that would have appealed. I actually uh, I felt it would be too, too uh, time-consuming for me. Something that you know you'll you'll get really into, and then you won't have time for the other things you're already into. So as the player, no. As the dungeon master, yes. <laughs> uh, I've been the dungeon master for, for many a many an occasion. And being the dungeon master for Dungeons & Dragons is like being a very attractive woman. <laughs> in that you, you go to these hobby shops or you go some places and you're like, hey, I want to get a Dungeon Master's Guide or a screen or some dice or something. Like, oh, oh, you DM? Yeah. Oh, do you, do you have a game running right now? Uh, let me give you my email address or my phone number or something. Oh, and just in You play bass? You play bass, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's great, man. Are you in a band already? Yeah. Hey, man. You can keep the beat. You can you can keep the drummer uh, in line. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's I I get what they were going for, and I appreciate it. And I don't think it's even necessarily just just the effect. It's the idea of the Lovecraftian horror, which is we've built on this horror, we've created this whodunit murder mystery. And then now all of a sudden, holy shit, there's something even greater than we imagined actually taking place and actually being the problem. And and again, on paper, that sounds great. Yeah, but they they could have done better with the effect. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. The execution just didn't didn't hit like they hoped it would. Everything sounded like it was gonna go well. And then of course you have Chris Catan returning as, you know, Casper the friendly ghost after perishing earlier to uh to save our, our heroes at the end. 
Yeah. Yep. He uh, he returns. He pulls the cool chain thing to to lift the the veil over the window so that they can approach daylight and they get out. Oh shit. Here's somebody snuck seven, the $7 million worth of uh cashier's checks under the window for some reason. And uh, how are we going to get down from here? Roll credits. Yeah. We're, we, we end with our, it's one of those uh classic moments of like, well, the heroes technically won the day, but they're doomed. Yeah. There's yeah, they, no way down, and they're stuck out on a ledge with $7 million. <laughs> it kind of finishes clean. Like, well, nobody won, nobody lost, whatever. Yeah. Game over. Now, uh, let's talk gimmicks for a second, Eddie. Okay. Were you aware of the gimmick that when this came out theatrically? No. Well, you said you went to this in the theater, so you participated. I went to it in theaters, but I was not aware of a gimmick, nor did I participate in one. Oh, well, they had one for this one. Okay. Uh, Everyone who purchased a ticket, and uh, to be clear, my dad just pocketed all both of them, I'm certain, because mm-hmm. I never got to see this myself. But anyone who purchased a ticket received a scratcher ticket, where, uh, hypothetically, someone was going to win a million dollars. Oh my god. Classic, I think. I bet uh, you the theater fucking kept my ticket. I mean, maybe. It, I don't know, Did you, you went opening night, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, some some teen in the box office is probably pocketing a whole stack of those things because that's the idea was that it uh, and I'm certain my dad scratched both and tossed them, but you know without uh, without my knowledge. But uh, yeah, that's the gimmick when it came out was uh, we're gonna incorporate the gimmick of the film itself for the audience so that you might win a million dollars for lasting through this film. That's very clever. Huh. And I think uh, I think old Dub C would have applauded that were he around. Probably would have. Yeah. House on Hill is a pretty pretty decent success. You know, they, they about doubled their money on it. It was strong enough to keep going. And uh, they had a three-picture deal to, uh, to keep going. And they had, at this point, I read an article from this time period where they were talking about what their plans were. And they had three movies in the pipeline that were coming out. Uh, one of them was Macabre, the, the first big horror film that uh, William Castle was known for the year before House on Hill. Uh, they want to do The Tingler. Oof. And uh, their third thing they're going to work on after they finish Macabre and the Tingler is 13 Ghosts. Yeah, and it turns out Macabre and Tingler... Somehow didn't happen. Eh, we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe Because uh, those are a little, little harder, I think, to update for the, the millennials. Yeah. So instead, why don't we take the same formula and redo it? <laughs> I mean, it worked so well the first time. It did. I mean, it made them their fucking money back, so why not? So I believe this takes us to 2001, Eddie. This does. This takes us to a 2001 and... Bobby, 2001, where are you at? I'm 18 years old in 2001. I am working at a Hollywood video in Costa Mesa, California. Very nice. You're housing fucking Twix. I'm housing <laughs> Twix. I, uh, I, I straight up told the manager, she's like, so why do you want to work here? And I started to say about, you know, my love for films, you know, since I was a small kid. And then I immediately just diverted and went, look, man, I want to work here for the free rental. And she appreciated my honesty. And I ended up working there for about five years. And I was like the horror guy. People would, you know, I had regulars that would come and pick my brain for old horror movies because that's all I did with my free time when I wasn't housing candy <laughs> i'm so jealous of this fact about your life by the way well that there's a period in my life where i'm just shoveling stolen candy into my mouth and, and watching no, vhs no. tapes of old horror movies working working in a video rental place and just like running through horror like i 2001 for me i was working at this place called stream international where stream international 
Yeah, they're no longer existing. I was doing technical... Making homemade soda here? What is that? <laughs> I was doing technical support for a company called At, the at symbol home. <laughs> In 2001. Yeah, which was one of the very first cable internet service providers. And I was doing technical support for them probably nine to ten hours a day where you had to be on the phone or available to take a call for 98% of the time that you were working there, right? Wow. Other than your two 15-minute breaks and your half-hour lunch break. Of that time that you were taking your calls, you had to, your average call had to be five minutes in your wrap time, which is documenting what happened during the call, but it had to be one minute. Wow. Not fun. At no. All. I was living in Beaverton, Oregon. Fantastic. Which... I think you've mentioned Beaverton on our show. Oh, yeah. Beaverton, Oregon. It, it's a lovely place to leave. <laughs> Says that on the sign, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think this might have been the second or third time I went and saw Typo Negative performing live. Oh, awesome. Oh, my God. One of my favorite bands. And, you know, I, I got into them recently. Recent? Whoa, whoa. You got into them recently. Bear in mind, new metal guy. Okay, okay. So they were a little they're a little little down tempo for me. Oh yeah, the early stuff was down tempo? Well, not the early stuff, but the stuff yeah. that I, you know, the thing is when you're a, when you're a youngin, mm-hmm. you know when you're still wet behind the ears in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. You know, you sample some stuff at the used record store. <laughs> and if it doesn't hit, you just don't come back to it, you know? Yeah, I hear and you. So you know, I put on, you know, put on a little black number 1, but I didn't ride it out until it picks up. You know, so I'm just, uh, yeah. I, I was just like, all right, this this dude doing a Dracula voice. He's just kind of banging on about some girl he likes. This isn't hitting for me. Uh, I I think they're great now. You know, I, I had to give him another chance many years later. Yeah. Rest in peace, Peter Steele. Absolutely. So you're, you're in Beaverton. Yep. It's 2001. You're, you're working at home. Beaverton, shit job. And uh, this movie, 13 Ghosts, comes out. Now, you first... Oh, we're aware of this movie when the trailer hit, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Now, see, I go back further a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, beginning of 2001, maybe even late 2000. I go to my first horror convention. Wow. Okay. I go to the Fangoria Weekend of Horrors. Uh, I gather up my, uh, my you know, two of my closest friends and, and my, uh, my best friend slash little brother. You know, we're not blood-related, but we uh, we grew up side-by-side. Side. I met him in a reading buddy program when he was uh, in kindergarten. Okay, okay. And so we found out we lived next, you know, the, we lived in adjacent complexes, so we just spent every day together and grew up as brothers. Yeah, that's so anyway. how friendship used to work, was proximity. Yeah, you're just like, I don't know, who's outside? That's my best friend. <laughs> First person you wave at. Yeah. And my buddy Sean, he's the only one at the time who had a car. See, my the whole video I worked at at 18 was, you know, walking distance from my home. Mm-hmm. As as had been my elementary school, my high school, and the junior college I was about to go to. So I had no reason for a car at that point in my life. Right. As popular as I was with the ladies, you know. Uh, but uh so we go to my first ever horror convention and on the way in the door someone is passing out t-shirts okay that's pretty cool yeah and what's on the t-shirt i get i get two t-shirts actually i got one for dog soldiers Ooh, nice uh neil marshall's 2002 film about werewolves which is uh I believe was brought up when uh, when our boy Daniel showed up on your show. Yes, it I, was. I remember yeah, he brought yeah. he talked about dog soldiers. Oh, you listened to that episode with uh, the Howling episode. Well, I'm certainly not going to show up on a show I haven't heard. Very nice. I'm a professional, Eddie. Oh. Also, I I enjoy you and the work you do. So of course I listen to your show, Eddie. 
<laughs> okay. Well, don't say that. But anyhow. <laughs> but the second shirt that gets tossed to me mm-hmm. is uh, is the poster for 13 Ghosts. Tony Shalhoub. No. Absolutely. Just a <laughs> naked Tony Shalhoub. Just monk. No, but this, uh, this 13 Ghost poster was wild. Oh, yeah. It's the, it's the one everybody knows from all the box art. It's the only poster that's been used up until uh, just recently. I think this month, actually, uh, it hit Blu-ray through Shout Factory. <sighs> it looks like they're going through the... Uh, Scream Factory, rather, the imprint of Shout Factory, is going through these Dark Castle movies from the turn of the, from the, turn of the year and, uh, and giving them the Blu-ray treatment, finally. Well, looks like I have to go purchase another Blu-ray, okay? <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to have to as well. You yep. know, the new commissioned artwork and the retrospectives and all the all the bells and whistles. Of course. Shout Factory is one of the best. Oh, absolutely. Fortunately, we're living in a golden era for... Uh, ten, you know, for physical media, there's so many boutique Blu-ray labels putting out the kinds of movies that guys like you and I are into. Absolutely, and I got into this on the They Live episode. Like, I purchased the Shout Factory's They Live re-release. My God, the director's commentary with Carpenter and Piper is—I mean, come on, I'm a Portland wrestling guy. It's yeah, and uh, and so so good, and you get to hear the uh, you know Piper was a very sensitive man. You get to hear a lot of the insecurity. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I recall hearing that commentary and like John Carpenter having to like gas up Piper a little bit because he gets too hard on himself. Yeah, but uh, rest in peace, Piper. absolutely, and uh, and live forever, John Carpenter. Yeah, please. It seems God. he's going to become David Lopan. <laughs> I hope so, because this dude's been 120 for the last two decades, wow. and he's still going strong making music. Speaking of music, that soundtrack is worth getting too, Eddie. I don't know if you collect records, but uh, uh, <laughs> do I collect records? You have no idea. I have uh, Silent Hill 1 and 2. I've got Castlevania 1, 2, and 3. The amount of vinyl that I have is ridiculous. Oh, that's fantastic. So do you have the They Live soundtrack that Death Waltz put out several years ago? No, I gotta get it. Oh, you gotta, man. Mm-hmm. That that like digital western kind of like bluesy. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Carpenter, phenomenal at music. Midas touch that guy. Yeah. Honestly. But um and so I get this t shirt and I'm like, Whoa, what is this? Is this based on the you know, is this is this a remake of the old movie? It doesn't look like it. Yeah. What's this composite of a bunch of faces to make a face that's screaming? That's just beautiful. So I wore that shirt proudly, you know, everywhere I went. <laughs> I wore that thing out. And it was an ugly ass shirt because that's not a you know, that's not a thing you want to wear on your person. It's not a flattering design for your chest. But uh but I was proud to get it. And mm-hmm. so that's where I, you know, I got to see the exclusive trailer for it. I was like, whoa, this is going to be, this is going to be something. So I, I had a lot of hype going into this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Boy, you, you would not be let down. No. Uh, so much hype, in fact, that uh, I actually sought out and printed out the bios for each of the 13 ghosts. So the 13 ghosts. We, we, should, we should establish this, this world of this movie. Yeah, we, we need to do some, some world building. So Tony Shalhoub, Monk. His wife died. He has a rich uncle who's like, hey, man, uh, I died too, and I'm going to give you a a bunch of stuff. So he gets invited out to a glass house, which is such an... It's an interesting choice, actually, I think, for the setting of a horror film. Yeah. In in that there's transparency and light for a a long beginning, almost like Midsummer is is saturated and bright. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Going, you know, in the same way The Wicker Man was back in 72. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we we have that. He goes out there, and of course the the shithead lawyers like, hey, you got to go sign something. And then Matthew Lillard's like, my friend, uh, uh, heroin Bob just died. He's the clairvoyant. He's the power man. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so so uh, his kids are running around, and the maids running around, 
Is this a post-American Pie, uh, Shannon Elizabeth? I think so, yeah, Shannon Elizabeth. right after, I think American Pie was 2000? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So she's the the hot new thing on the scene. Yeah, she's got the star power here. It's not Tony Shalhoub, I mean, I know. No, he was, at this point, this is pre-Monk, he's just the guy from Wings. (laughs) Jesus. Fucking win. And and Lillard, this is uh, I believe this is pre Scooby Doo, so Lillard's just the guy from Scream. Uh, yeah, he's the guy from Scream, and he's the guy. I mean, from certainly he'd done SLC already yeah. and all a couple of other films, but the wide mainstream, he's the guy from Scream or Hackers. Oh right, right. <laughs> Speaking, of, I gotta do an episode on Hackers on something. Uh, just because that's my job do a side podcast about all those like the internet is scary movies yeah oh my yeah like an eight millimeter and uh, the net the net yeah so we we kind of get the feeling that the uncle is a big game hunter slash uh uh, rich guy with sextons and and uh, a bunch of uh samurai gear laying Mm -hmm. around also the rich uncle legendary actor f murray abraham one of the best yeah and, yeah and uh, in this one he's f murray kill am i right <laughs> oh and he'll come back you'll see him again as the 13th ghost right absolutely that's the big reveal toward the end of the film but like damn yeah. this is one of those like you, you see the name come up in the opening credits you go really yeah what's he doing here He's lending legitimacy. I mean, it's I mean, a thing got... that Ben Kingsley used to do until he did it too much and it <laughs> hurt his own name. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, like you, you become Raul Julia in Street Fighter. And now you're like, well, boy, this is gonna be one. And, and you're like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, his kids liked Street Fighter, so that's why Raul Julia was in there. Of course, quote unquote. And honestly, no one would even remember that movie if it wasn't for him. Yeah, that would have just been uh, uh, a Tuesday. <laughs> No kidding. So, in uh, speaking of like Lovecraftian horror, you have this here. So this is uh, hearkening to the illusion o glasses. There are glasses which one could put on and see that all among the glass walls that construct this house, there's writing in Latin. Yeah, sort of a lot, a lot of writing, some symbols, mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful house that's got like a beautiful room for the young boy. It's got a lovely uh, a bedroom with weird um, perfumes for Shannon Elizabeth. Like a very nice, very modern house for them all to live in. Yeah. With some weird shit going on in the basement. In the basement? Bobby, what's going on in the basement? Why, turns out F. Murray Abraham was a ghost landlord. <gasps> <laughs> no, uh, more of a, a, a you know more of a ghost warden because he has trapped ghosts in cells below the house. Yeah, of a uh, of varying degrees of uh, deadliness. Of yeah, of, of deadliness, definitely. So we've got the. Th- 13 ghosts that make up the uh, uh, Black Zodiac. Which, man, I gotta tell you, 18-year-old Bobby, all about it. Like, these are, these are the best ideas. This is the greatest horror movie I've ever seen. I certainly don't hold that opinion of this film anymore, but yeah. uh, at the time, this was this was my shit, Eddie. Mm-hmm. I, I 100% get it. I, I get it. I was watching it today, and I, I, I kind of got into it. I was like, look, man, I want to build my own Bacillus machine. Oh, absolutely. And I gotta say, the glasses thing is a great idea to incorporate the gimmick of the old movie. Yeah, it's it's almost a, uh, they live. Yeah, and this the idea, like, if you want to see the ghosts, you gotta look through the special viewer. Yeah, you could almost say, like, a, a Sixth Sense kind of fucked with this a little bit, too. In, in yeah, the, yeah. Uh, some of us can see, some of us can't. It, it's... 
It was a good move. And there's a lot you can work with with that that structure. Yeah. So now we've got the the uh, the basilisk machine, quote unquote, which is this house. And the idea is that it's going to open up the ocularis infernium, which is the eye of hell. Yes. And I, I gotta say, you know, as a, as a, both of us being young men who were listening to Manson at the time mm-hmm. and listening to, you know, come 2001, you know, God, I'm, who, who am I into at this point? I think I got some Slipknot going on at this point. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I found that real early, too. I found that, I found some discarded uh, copy of Slipknot's first album that had been, you know, a radio copy that they'd sent to a station who then just tossed it. Oof. And so... I, I was listening to, I'd listened to the, the shit out of that album before it even hit, <laughs> you know, so that was... So you're, like, watching YouTube bootlegs of Spit It Out, and you're like, wow, The Shining's cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I was getting my friend to, uh, and, and this relates to the film, but, I was, you know, I'm getting my friend to, like, go on LimeWire and get the uh, the demo album they'd made with the different singer a couple years earlier called Meat, Feed, Kill, Repeat. Yeah. And boy, yeah, that's a trash that. album, I gotta tell you. I don't know how the hell they got a, they got a deal out of that. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess uh, Cold Chamber got albums, too, so... Yeah, I was definitely listening to Cold Chamber at that point, riding in my demonic ice cream truck, singing loco at people. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this uh, was all I was listening to. I, I, you know what I was big into at this point was a band called Nothing Face. Oh, I remember Nothing Face. Yep. Oh, man. Eddie, let me tell you, I, I made my own merch. For Nothing Face. I went down to the old five for ten, and I got a black sweatshirt, a black hoodie. Okay. And I ma- in purple writing, I wrote nothing face across the chest. And then at the bottom on the back, mm-hmm. like right over your ass. Right. You know, I wrote, uh, I got a lyric from one of the songs. I wrote, the sick knows no pain. Oh. And I must have worn, and I was a chubby kid, so, you know, in, in the sweltering summer, I'm still wearing this black hoodie. Because, you know, then no one knows you're a fat kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Layers, like Kevin Smith would say, layers on layers. Absolutely. Now, my younger brother, of course, uh, followed suit and made his own mud vein hoodie. Where he did the uh, capital letter, small letter, capital letter. So, like, you know, they did that logo where it looked like uh, the periodic yeah, table. Yeah. And so he did one of those. I don't remember which lyric he put on his ass, but he had one on the back of his, too. He just had the word dig on his ass. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> and uh, maybe it said Bob away. <laughs> but uh, they, uh, so we, we were rolling into this movie in our, in our new metal hoodies that we made ourselves at the 5 for 10 t shirt warehouse. Okay, yeah, you guys were ready you were prepped you were you were you were the the pumps were primed and then yeah. they got into the 13 ghosts and and man that's why i brought up the slipknot thing because we have these like distinct personas for each of the ghosts and it's all super hardcore well not just like a distinct persona but you have a backstory behind all of the ghosts and they're not really talked about in the film proper it's it's supplemental material that i had to seek out on my own in 2001 Barely. So they're barely talked about in the movie. Toward the end, you get kind of a summation of them. But not really enough to understand what the hell we're looking at with these ghosts. No. Like, did you know the jackal was male or even or female at the time? Because I had trouble. I had no idea he was born of a whore and a <laughs> rapist. Yeah. Uh, so... Let's get into the ghosts then. Let's I do suppose. it. And I gotta say, you know, in 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 early two thousands internet, I I printed out all of the bios and I wow. was reading them. I was studying it. What about all of their symbols? Yeah, yeah. Like, I tried to know as much as I could about it because I I get very obsessive with my fandoms. Mm-hmm. Surely you didn't know that already about me. Eddie. Oh no, of course not. 
This is why you should never get into Dungeons and Dragons, by the way. You're understanding why I said that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because... I can't do it. I will get too deep into it, and my personal life will st- will suffer. I have a marriage I gotta keep afloat here. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> Even though true. she herself has played Dungeons and Dragons, I'm like, nope, can't do it. Because I'm gonna get my ass divorced if I get into Dungeons and Dragons. I can guarantee you that. You'll lose sight of me for a while. I see. This is the thing. There, There is a setting of Dungeons and, Drag- and Dragons called Curse of Strahd. Which is effectively if Bella, well, not really Bella Lugosi, if Vlad the Impaler was a god. Wow. And you were trapped in his Silent Hill realm. Stop offering me drugs, Eddie. Being tortured, being tortured by him, right, to his service, and yet he himself was a prisoner to it who could never escape it. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've got to run this campaign <laughs> with, with you. You know what? I may have to give it a try sometime, to, Eddie. To ruin your life. This may be the, the chance I finally get to ruin everything. <laughs> so. But yeah, so I studied these these 13 ghosts. Number one, the firstborn son. The firstborn son. And mm-hmm. this was a, a kid who was, you now bear in mind, there's a little bit of time travel here. Not really. But, you know, these ghosts are plucked from different eras and they're still haunting areas. Well, yeah, I mean, a ghost could have died any time. It could have been the Civil War, could be a caveman. And I wish we'd gotten more of uh, F. Murray Kill catching these ghosts. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be a fun a prequel. We just get the the big bad. We get our end boss ghost. Uh, yeah. We get his capture at the beginning of the film. That's sort of the I believe that was the cold open, was it not? Yeah, the Juggernaut. Yeah, where we show up at the we show up at Freddy's junkyard from Nightmare <laughs> Three, and uh, and the Juggernaut starts ripping people up, and then we catch him oh in a box. God. How many movies start in that junkyard? Like. Uh... Yeah. But, yeah, we'll talk about the firstborn son. Mm-hmm. This was a little boy who was playing cowboy, but the kid he was dueling against didn't have a cap gun but a real bow. <laughs> Whoops. I mean, really, this kid should be pissed off at his parents. Yeah, this isn't something you haunt the world for. No, no, not but, at all. Uh, but it's a little boy with an arrow through his head. Yeah, and and as far as, like, as the threatening level of the ghosts in here... Like, he just kind of hangs out. He's a green. He's very low level. He just yeah. sort of pops up periodically. Sometimes he's walking on the ceiling. Sometimes he's walking on the floor. Yeah, that's about it. Just say, check it out. I got an arrow through my head. You're like, that's cool, ghost. Thanks. It's a good effect. I saw Steve Martin doing it, but, you know. <laughs> oh, how great would it be if this ghost pops up and goes, well, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, he just whips out the little ukulele and does a couple of uh, tracks. The banjo? Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bernadette Peters pops out with a French horn. Yeah, it's... I gotta tell you, a better ghost. Not gonna lie. better ghost. Bernadette Peters already uh, the complexion of a ghost. It's absolutely true. Yeah. And with, with Lovecraftian hair. Yeah. So that's uh, that's cha- that's door number one. That's bachelor number one in this game. So who's the next one, Eddie? <laughs> bachelor number two is the torso, ladies and gentlemen. The torso oh is a body that's missing its, like, legs. Uh, and it's, like, missing, it's missing fucking everything, Basically. It's just the parts individually wrapped in cellophane. Yeah, yeah, and it's supposedly it's the ghost of this guy Jimmy Gambino. Yeah, the gambler was his nickname. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a gambler, a mobster, and a made man who bet on a boxing match and uh, uh, lost. Yeah, he played with uh, he played with someone else's money, man. You know, he uh, he he had he made a bet that he couldn't afford to pay back. See, this is a a valuable lesson about credit cards, kids. Him and uh, Frankie Four Fingers. <laughs> Absolutely. 
And so uh, he got cut up and saran wrapped and dumped in the ocean. And uh, now he appears as just leftovers. A bunch of leftovers laying around. Not a very threatening uh, ghost. Still very low level. We just sort of see him sitting there in the corner like, yeah, I'm, I can't do shit. I'm all wrapped up. Yeah, I guess I could uh, field goal your head, but uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> Maybe then. Another improvement we can make on the ghost here, Eddie. Yeah. Uh, what if he was still gambling? You know, like. You know, periodically the torso appears and just like throws a couple couple crisp bills on the floor as uh, as someone's getting attacked by another one of the thirteen. <laughs> he's like a disembodied gambit. He he's got some <laughs> like cards he's trying to fling out that are uh, yeah. loaded with uh, uh, psychokinetic energy, but they don't go anywhere. Yeah, they just sort of dissipate because he's a ghost. You know, but uh, I like the idea though that he's he's still looking for some action on everything. It's almost like the uh, episode of Tales from the Crypt where they're <gasps> gambling and uh, betting their limbs and fingers. You see, I like how you can bring it back every time. Man, this this is a Mechas dude. Sure like Tales from the Crypt. He sure did. And so who's our next ghost, Eddie? Spin the wheel. Mm. Let's see what it lands on. Spin the wheel. And we land on the Bound Woman. Okay, this is another real feel-good one. You want, you want to take us through that one? Uh, so the Bound Woman was, I guess... She was really into being tied up for satin, no. Um <laughs> Yeah, this one got weird. Uh, Gina Gershon shows up, <laughs> and she's... No, this was the, uh, you know, the most popular girl in her high school. And it didn't work out too well for her, though. No, because she, uh, she cheated on her boyfriend, and he was none too pleased about it. He should never, ever do that. And he was like the star quarterback or something, I think. Yeah, one of those deals, yeah. and uh, and so he ends up like you know tying her up, and uh, and I think she asphyxiated in a trunk somewhere. I think was how she died, and she like we're starting with the real low level ghosts, the ones who just kind of show up to be creepy and give you a little boogity boo. And then the uh, the guy that killed her, he he claimed that because he was raised as a rich person, he didn't understand consequences, so the judge oh. let him. <laughs> he had the influenza, the affluenza. Poor, pardon. So then, uh, next we have the withered lover. Now this is, this is the sad one. This is the reveal toward the end of the movie because this is uh, this is Monk's wife. Yeah, the, this is Lady Monk. Absolutely, Shannon Elizabeth Monk's mother. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, she died in a hospital fire, so she appears partially burned. But she's a friendly ghost because she's the wife and mother of our protagonist. She shows up at the end to help everything out. Well, she shows up toward the beginning, too, because the the son wanders downstairs, and, and she's like, hey, don't go down there, kid. Yeah, that's it's a bad true. idea. We, we got another Chris Kattan here. Yeah. It's just like, well, second, we have another, another Chris Kattan, too. We do. We absolutely In Matthew do. Lillard. Yeah. Uh, then after that, we have the Torn Prince. Now, I loved this one. Yeah, this is the every, like, 1950s, like, leader of the pack style song. Which is, it's like, the guy loved me so much that he got in a car accident and died, and tell Laura I loved her. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those deals. Uh, my understanding is that he was a star baseball player. Hence the bat. And uh, he had a rival at that school who was, like, you know, the second best baseball player in his, you know, 1950s Greece high school he went to. They even say that the other guy was a real greaser. So just, it's, you know, it's Danny Zuko. Yeah. It's Eric Von Zipper was his rival. <laughs> And uh, so he, he crossed Eric Von Zipper the wrong way and uh, cut his brakes when he was going around Dead Man's Curve or what happened. Dead Man's Curve. Yeah, exactly. 
And so he's torn in that. So he's in his letterman's jacket. You know, he's dressed sort of like the uh, the Hotline Miami guy with the chicken oh mask. Oh my god, such a good game. I loved it. But, you know, you could see in his face and his body that half his body's all mangled, but he still carries his bat. Yeah, he looked, he's such a great design for, for a character. Oh, it looked like a million bucks. And he's angry and he's just hitting everything with his baseball bat. Yeah, and they use him so, so much. He's oh, yeah. banging the shit out of things with that bat. Well, because every ghost seems to have resigned differently to their cell that they're stuck in. You know, some of the ghosts just sort of sit there, and they it's like different care people would react to being locked up in a cell. Yeah. He is yeah. just endlessly clanging against this magic prison cell with his bat trying to get out. He's fucking pissed, and I get it. Angry yeah. teenager, man. I'm all for it. That was certainly my favorite one of the gang. Oh, yeah? The Torn Prince is your favorite? It's not the next, the Angry Princess? <laughs> uh, that's a fun one, Eddie. You want to take us through what her deal is? Yeah, so her deal is that she's like a young lady who killed herself, uh, but, but she was a, a very wealthy... Addicted to plastic surgery. To physical enhancement. Yes, so that was the thing is... The era in which she lived is not really described because she's always naked. I think she's supposed to be contemporary. I think the idea was of the time she was one of those socialites who's always getting the lip injections and the and the boob jobs and the and just is more plastic than flesh at this point. So basically she had like body dysmorphia and ended Absolutely. up killing herself with a knife that she carries with her pretty much everywhere that that, that she goes. Yeah, she had a botched procedure that mutilated one of her eyes. Yeah. Yeah, her eyes all fucked up. Unable to fix that, you know, and be beautiful again. She went in the bathtub with a big old Michael Myers knife. Yeah, what happened? Why do why are, why is it so many people kill themselves in the bathtub? What's the idea behind that? Uh, I think it's uh the blood's going to go down the drain. You're going to leave a more uh contained mess. Well, that's considerate. That's my guess anyway. That's a very considerate thing. It sounds like you've been thinking about this. So, uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, depression's fun, isn't it? Just in case. Um, but you know, you don't you don't want to leave too much for people to find. Maybe you run the water. You know? That's why I'm gonna walk up into the hills. Is my plan. That's a good call. Yeah, you know, I like that's old school. It's classic. You know, either that or just walk into the ocean. Oh, the old uh, awakening style. You're gonna go with the uh, classic literature suicide. That's not bad. If you're gonna do it, just walk into the. That's like the coolest. How did he die? He he got tired of being alive. He walked into the ocean. Yeah, the, the the wave crashed over him, and we never saw him again. He was just fucking gone. Of course, what they don't mention is, like, you know, three days later, you're just going to, like, wash up while some kid is making a sandcastle, all bloated with a fish stuck to your face. <laughs> and I'm down there banging Ariel. You know? Like, I'm not dead. Come on. <laughs> you're you're going to roll up looking like Elvis on the toilet. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's probably <laughs> accurate. So, uh, who do we got next now? Uh, the seventh ghost. Well, I mean, it's your order, dude. Let's talk about, uh, let's jump to the Pilgrimist. That would be the seventh ghost, the Pilgrimist, yeah. Hey, we got a colonist. You know, we're going old school. She was accused of witchcraft, and they they put her in the pillory, you know, the stocks. Mm-hmm. And uh, she died there of starvation, so we have an emaciated woman still locked in the stocks. Yeah, she doesn't really show up that much. No, she just kind of runs by periodically. She's a, It's like a toasty in Mortal Kombat. She'll just sort of <laughs> like swing into the room real quick and go, <laughs> and then, do, then run away. Yeah, she makes some cameos, that's about it. But after her, uh-oh. Tell me. 
We have the great child and the dire mother. And is this two ghosts? Does this count as two? It counts as two, but they were captured together. Okay. So it's, I don't know, that's a technicality with F. Murray Abraham. I'm like, I don't know, dude. I think that's one. Yeah. I guess one's real big and one's real small. But they, did, they didn't They did die in the same incident. So yeah. I think it counts. So you've got a, a real big fat like dude in a baby suit, which is weird. Who's just covered in, in sick. You know, he's a he's a dude vomit. who just uh, just you know plays it where it lies with anything that needs to come out of his body. It's like a real Laurel and Hardy situation. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like the number ten. Uh, not quite though, because uh, you know, uh, because his mother is about three feet tall. She's a little person. Yeah, she's the dire mother. That, that's why it only counts as one because she's so small. One point five at most. Uh, no disrespect to it. if you are a little person listening to this. I I apologize. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, they were in a traveling freak show together, and, uh, unfortunately, she got, uh, savaged by the very tall man at, at this freak show. What? Not Angus Scrimm. Okay, I don't know this. You don't, you don't have this one, Eddie? No, no, I don't have this fact. Go for it. Okay, so, uh, the Dire Mother was the, the designated little person of a traveling freak show. The guy who's there to be the very tall man in this freak show, uh, raped her. Oh my god. And, uh, she ended up having this big-ass baby boy. And that's why he's so big and she's so small. Now, uh, she, of course, o- only ever treated him like a baby, regardless of how, how far he aged or how big he got. So he's got this stunted development, and that's why he's in a bib and a diaper and covered in his own Ugh. stick. Um, and, uh, one day there were hecklers that came to the, the freak show, and he freaked out, and he had Adam with an axe. Just went on a big He had an axe hanging around. Yeah, this is, this is the Eddie of the movie. Hey, no. That's what I picture whenever you call yourself Eddie the Axe. I just yeah. this guy. <laughs> I'm going to do a bonus episode where I actually explain where I got that nickname. I would love to hear it, because I've known yeah. you now for, for a bit, and I still don't know that story. Yeah. But, uh, so anyway, uh, he goes on this murder spree, so obviously the, the circus is in trouble. And uh, so the circus owner ends up having both he and his mother killed. Jesus. Yeah, uh, at separate points. But, you know, first she is killed, uh, and uh, he finds her, and then they kill him too. And so uh, that's how they appear together. And they just sort of appear together. This is another one that it doesn't, there's no real kinetic energy here. You just see this big, scary dude with an axe and his tiny mom next to him, but they just stare at you. Just kind of menacing. They don't really do anything. Because well, why, why would a baby attack you, you know? And the mother's not going to do anything unless you come for her kid. Yeah, I guess it could be like a bear. Maybe she could be like violent or I don't know. A tiny bear, like Yogi and Boo Baby bear. Uh, and then you got the tenth ghost, and holy shit, this is where it gets crazy. Now we're getting the there. fucking hammer. Ooh, second favorite one in the movie. Big fan of this one. This one's. Cool. I would say like they they pose the jackal or the the juggernaut as being better than the hammer. I disagree. I think the hammer, like holy shit, that's a big dude. <laughs> Yeah, they got a big stuntman for this one. So the idea of this one is he's a an old timey, you know, western town blacksmith uh, who is a is a man of color, and his uh, his entire family ends up getting lynched by these racist ass town people. And but he this is a, this is one of those ghosts whose backstory I thought should have gotten his own movie. It was a really good yeah. Th- this was in one, probably the more interesting of the ghosts. I feel like this was the first one they came up with. Probably. Because the effort is shown, you know? Oh, yeah. And so uh, he got revenge on each of the men who lynched his family using his blacksmith tools. The townspeople, of course, 
get then, you know, eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. The townspeople came for him for this killing spree. And uh, what they ended up doing, this is very Candyman. You know, they uh, they tied him to a tree. I was just going to say, this is exactly, minus the bees, this is Candyman. Straight lift from Candyman from this point, basically. Uh, they tie him to a tree. Uh, they cut off his his hand, you know, the hand he did all of his work with, the hand that made his money. And uh, But then they drove rail spikes into him. Bit of a, like a John Henry nod. So uh, when his ghost appears... He's this hulking monstrosity wearing his blacksmith. What do you call that? Is that a smock? I don't know if that's the appropriate term. Apron? It's just an apron. So he's wearing his old-timey leather apron. He's got rail spikes stuck all through him. Yeah. And his right hand is now the head of a sledgehammer. And it looks phenomenal. Like, get me the action figure. Oh my Where God. are you, Todd McFarlane? For real. Like, you want to make a ultra-realistic one. God damn. Where are you, Nico? Where are the 13 ghost figures? How many points of articulation can you put on this bad boy? This is dope. And so he's one of the angry ghosts for, for every reason. You know, <laughs> that's... Well, yeah, his life sounds like torture. <laughs> like, yeah. God damn. And this is another one, too. It's like, I want to see the scene where F. Murray Abraham has to go catch this dude. I don't know how they caught this dude. <laughs> And they didn't either. That's why they didn't show it. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, I don't know, man. He caught him a while ago. Yeah. Like, that would have been interesting to go to wherever, where, whatever the old western town was in 2001. You know? Like, so we're in just like, you know, Phoenix or whatever. Yeah, we're, we're out by Lancaster. We're, we're just out in the middle of the desert near California. Yeah, where this ghost has been picking people off. Ugh. And I assume attacking white folks. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, it would make sense. Which would be an interesting, that's also interesting for a story. A person killed in a racist in a racist attack who only goes after people who resemble who killed him. Yeah, I guess we can go uh, watch the remake of Candyman that's coming out. I gotta say, from the stuff that I've seen, Nia DaCosta has done amazing work with this movie. I have not seen a single image, sound, or 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 animation from this that didn't completely engage me. It looks perfect. It really does, and I am so upset that this damn pandemic has delayed it. Yeah. Because I was so ready to watch that in a theater. The idea that it's like kind of an anti-gentrification plus, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's so good. Yeah, such such the right direct, so nice. And and this ties into the the general discussion at hand here, Eddie, is uh, I don't Mm -hmm. know about you, but I really, really love remakes. I know they get a lot of shit from people. People don't like remakes. They get all upset about it. But, like, I think it's really cool to see some other artist interpret a piece. Yeah, so depending, I mean, but that's anything, right? Anything can either be executed well or executed poorly. And and there have been some phenomenal ones, especially, like, recently that they, yeah, they've been knocking them out of the park. Certainly. And, um, you know, just like music, though, you know, you hear a band covered an old song, and you're like, that could either be trash or brilliant. Yeah. Either way, I appreciate that it exists. I mean, anytime somebody's creating art, I, I, I support it. We, we need more of it out there. And I don't, think it's a, uh, I don't think it's a lesser form of art that you have paid homage to something that came before. You know, I think that there is still art to be made in, in, that, uh, in that realm. It, I don't think it's uh, fair to immediately discredit something because it's a cover or a remake. Well, to, uh, to quote Marilyn Manson like we were talking about briefly before. He's, he's always said famously that art is a question mark, not an exclamation point. Great quote. Yeah. And, and so, like, when he covered Sweet Dreams or... Which or, was heavily featured in House on Haunted Hill. <laughs> absolutely. And he almost, 
I don't think we brought that up yet. Yeah, he almost played the Doctor. Which would have been great. I've enjoyed Marilyn Manson's acting turns. He hasn't done many, but he's usually very good. Not a lot. He was he was good in Lost Highway. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jawbreaker. Yeah. Oh, Jawbreaker. God. I think you can do creative things with the... Similarly, here, here we're doing to here with uh, 13 Ghosts and, and House on Haunted Hill. It's a reimagining, I think. It's not about doing it first or even doing it best. It's about everybody else. Everybody just kind of putting their own spin on it and, and personalizing it. Which I think is important, too. If you're going to remake mm-hmm. something, it, you should have, there should, it should feel like there was a reason to do this. Like yeah. You don't want it beat for beat, necessarily. You know, no. I mean, the Gus Van Zandt, you know, opened and closed the book on doing that. And it, even though it doesn't always work, you know, like, you know, the RoboCop remake didn't work for me. But it wasn't because it existed. It was because this particular take didn't work for me. I haven't seen that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I love RoboCop so much. Just his favorite movie. I'm I'm such a huge fan of, of satire in general. But I think satire is one of the hardest things to to do well and there's just so much bad satire to sift through to find any good but but that's perhaps for another discussion let's uh let's keep going with these ghosts yeah so uh after the hammer we've got the jackal this one i found very upsetting ladies and gentlemen yeah so the jackal uh was a disheveled man with a cage on his head had been institutionalized for being a serial rapist. <laughs> yeah, because his mother was a he's a Rorschach, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Basically. <laughs> There's two ways you can go if you have Rorschach's upbringing. You become Rorschach or you become the jackal. Pretty much. Uh his death apparently occurred when uh, the asylum had burned down. He had gotten free but then ran back inside cuz fuck it, right? Okay. <laughs> like, well, I guess uh Whatever, this is what I'm used to. I got nothing going on, let's just go back in there. You're all uh, trapped in here with me, but but it it was just him. (laughs) And uh, I guess that created unfinished business, so we have a a rapist ghost. That's that's very 2001. Yeah, I could do... And that was literally just to have a scene of uh, Shannon Elizabeth getting savage. Yeah, and, and almost having her breast exposed was kind of in just a chaotic and upsetting scene wasn't great i mean if you're going to do the having an invisible force drag something up the wall and brutalize it they nailed that in nightmare on elm street you don't have to do it again yeah and furthermore nailed that in the entity yeah oh god yeah which is a hard watch but such a well-made movie yeah and uh, weirdly enough, speaking of homages, if you ever watch uh, James Wan's uh, Insidious movies, uh, the two Ghost Hunter guys were pulled directly from the Entity. Huh. Did not know that. Interesting. They look like them. They're in the outfits. They're acting like those guys. Huh. Never mentioned, but it's just something I noticed. <laughs> wow. Interesting. But uh, but yeah, the Jackal. That This one back when I was 18, I mean, I, it, it was very upsetting in the theater. I was like, get this thing off the screen. Not a fan of it. It, it, and it doesn't play well. Like the design of it, just a cage on somebody's head. Like, I don't know. like that doesn't make sense why that would happen. No. I did see a, a person cosplay the jackal at a at a horror convention a couple of years ago. They did a great job with it. But like, it'd be a fun one to cosplay. I get it, but no hammer, unfortunately. But who's leading this band? Who's the front man? Eddie? Well, we've got the juggernaut, of course. Now this was something. This was a. Uh, I believe a tr- no, not a trucker. He was a junkyard worker. He was the just the big dumb son of a guy who owned the junkyard. 
but he would abduct people and bring them back to the junkyard and pull them apart with his bare hands, Ugh. which gave him the nickname Breaker. Breaker. So that makes sense because of how the way that he uh, handles Matthew Lillard later in the movie. Yeah. Uh, guy, guy's a real. He he seems like a real jerk. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we get a, he's a real bane, this guy. The ham or the juggernaut. But yeah, that's and that's pretty upsetting too. That he's just this this massive you know pro wrestler looking dude who would just like try to break every part of a person. That's your twelfth ghost. Okay, so so we we've got the just the big badass, and, and uh, it's great too. If you look through, they they have uh, great illustrations of all of these uh, um, what what these characters are all supposed to be based on in the Arcanum that, that comes up in the movie. Uh, but we do have a thirteenth ghost, sir, and that would be the the broken heart. Yes, the final ghost. My God. Well, what could it be? Uh, who's supposed to die by leaping into the machine out of an act of pure love. Ah, uh, yes. Now, how do we accomplish this in the film, Eric? How do we accomplish him leaping into the machine out of an act of pure love? What I mean is who ends up being that ghost? Well, it's Tony Shalhoub, right? Of course. Of course. We and that's the whole reason that the, the uncle selected them uh, to, to be the sacrifices to the machine. But... Well, so why does he want to kill them? What's what's the motivation for all of this? It's really unclear, isn't it? We're just a uh, world domination, Eddie. Well, it's described <laughs> as whoever controls the eye of hell can see the past, the present, and the future. And so they have access to all of the information. And after all, information is power. And so that would make them the most powerful man in the world. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It works if you're 18. As a person who's seen more films and read more literature, you're like, eh, shaky. It's fun. I mean, it's whatever. I've, I've watched movies with less of a story to get me into it, like Crank or yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, Shoot 'em Up. Oh, God. Which, you know, I think 13 Ghosts could have used a carrot murder. It, it really could have. It could have used a carrot murder, or it could have used a uh, some sort of a disease that requires you to uh, inject adrenaline into your veins. <laughs> uh, but we we don't have that. Instead, what we what we have is a lot of Matthew Lillard drooling. Yeah, and and doing like doing proto Shaggy, honestly, because it's almost every scene is just him like reacting in surprise and fear at something. Yeah, a lot of saying shut up and don't talk and, and move and back away. A lot of directions going and I, on. And I remember at the time thinking this. Why isn't this a 3D movie? You know, oh whenever God, Lillard puts on the glasses, you put on the glasses. It makes sense. Well, right. And, and I think that's what they were trying to, to get out with William Castle with the blue-red Ghost, yeah. no ghost thing. And but, like, this should have been a theatrical experience as well to keep the gimmicks going. But my understanding from what I had read was Zemeckis and Silver talked about it, but they were like, yeah, but 3D sucks, though. It does suck. And uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't always love a 3D movie, honestly, but uh, they were like, yeah, it's hokey, it's overplayed, we don't want to do a 3D. So instead of coming up with something else, they've abandoned the gimmick idea after <laughs> yeah. one movie. Movie two. No gimmick. Movie 2, they're already like, eh, this gimmick stuff's too much work. It's too bad. 
And so we don't get it in 3D. I gotta say, one shot I really love in this movie, though, is at the very end when there's basically the ghost jailbreak, when when everything is coming down. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like uh, the Legion of Doom running away in Super Freds. <laughs> seeing all these various ghosts of different gimmicks and sizes running away together. And you even see the Jackal turn around and laugh one last time before he runs off into the woods. Yeah, he's kind of peace out. They're freed now. Like, hey. I was kind of hyped for, like, are we going to do, like, you know, Return of the 13 Ghosts? Oh, my God, like a buddy, like, road trip comedy? Because um, they're out there in the world now. we yeah. got to see, like, you know, oh, the Jackal goes to a strip club, or the Hammer tries <laughs> to get a pancake breakfast. <laughs> you know, just, there's so much we could do with these guys oh out there on the road. God, I could do at least three films on the torso. <laughs> yeah, how does he run off? Like, they I... should have shown... Uh, you know, we should have had one of the other ghosts, you know, carrying the pieces of the torso. Oh, yeah. You've just got the great child with, like, a bag slung over his back with the torso <laughs> yeah, exactly. in it. The mom's, like, as pieces are falling out of the big, like, Jake the Snake bag, mom's picking them up behind him. <laughs> They're like, we got you, Jimmy. Don't worry. Yeah, I could have used the illusion out on this. I really could have. It It would have been fun. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a tattoo I've thought about getting, by the way, was the uh, the ghost viewer from the old William Castle movies. I thought that'd be kind of cool. Oh, yeah? You don't want to get the sigils? I mean, I, ha- I have an old-time movie ticket on one of my wrists, so I figured, like, maybe on the other side I'll put the old ghost viewer. That'd be neat. That'd be cool. <laughs> That's just an aside, since we're talking yeah. about it. But, uh, so, what? Did, all told, what did you think of this one? I mean, I enjoyed it, absolutely, but, but I enjoy terrible movies. Like, I... <laughs> same yeah it, it's the, this was absolutely enjoyable in that i don't know it and i think roger ebert even even kind of shared this feeling of it which is like maybe the what it was trying to do was incomplete but the production of it the set design of it and and the the special effects of it were really really well done i believe on this and uh House of, a Th- House of a Thousand Corpses. No. Uh, House on Haunted Hill. I think they had K&B involved. Makes sense. I'm pretty sure. I read that somewhere. It looks like, too, you can almost see where it seems like some of the, the set uh, from House on Haunted Hill was reused. Oh, certainly. I mean, we're, we're definitely going for a similar vibe, if not straight up reusing parts of the set. And this is where I kind of was making the joke because you have Matthew Lillard's ghost coming back later on to tell him exactly how to to win the game. Mm-hmm. It's the crucial bit of information or the one the you know, moving an object that they couldn't reach. You have mm-hmm. like the Deus Ex Machina. Uh quite literally in this one. <laughs> yeah. Pretty um, much. Yeah. It's the the <laughs> the Lillard X Machina. The Lillard X Machina. <laughs> yeah. It's so good though. Honestly though, like I agree with you, though. It's like, it's a bad movie I can enjoy as a bad movie now, but at the time I thought it was a great movie. And what a great experience, though, to bring your friends to on a Saturday mm-hmm. night. You know, bring your, uh, you know, come out of the hot topic with a fresh t-shirt or a, or a you know, a ball chain necklace and uh, get your big titty goth girlfriend in the third row and just like, you guys can just have oh, a great time. 100%. I mean, it was the perfect theater going experience for a young person in that era in 2001. Yeah, yeah. And if it came out today, I don't know how it would be how it would be uh, received. Probably not nearly as well. Uh, yeah, it'd be tough. Horror nowadays is is a completely different thing. <laughs> um, it always is. It's an it's a fluid thing that's constantly changing. 
you know, and little things kind of peak back up periodically, but horror is always different. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because the, we don't even call it horror now; we call it a genre picture. Because I mean, because you I, don't want, there's a negative association with calling something horror. So if it's horror, but it's a good movie, you have to call it something else. Yeah, I forget uh, who who coined the phrase, but somebody uh, said horror is just drama taken to its furthest extreme. I've heard that quote too, and I don't know who it's associated with, I, but I agree. I don't know, but it's yeah, it's absolutely. Uh, and that's where we've landed, right? With uh, uh, things like, uh, oh, I don't know, Get Out or uh, Midsummer, things like that. Midsummer, I know uh, us to a slightly lesser extent because that that leaned a little harder into the old genre stuff. But it certainly was in that conversation. A lot of what uh, Jordan Peele does is, you know, the uh, the the often uh, criticized term elevated horror, which is funny because you're saying, like, horror but not shit. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's horror, but wait a second. It's without the, the stain of Slumber Party Massacre on it, I guess. Yeah. Which, you know, conversely, I say, you, you, you give Slumber Party Massacre its flowers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you, you throw some respect on its name. Again, but, but, I mean, you're talking about satire, even though they didn't know they were making satire. Uh, <laughs> right. Just uh, go ahead and check out that episode of The Grind. It was a fun it's where one. Eddie first appeared, and we had a great time talking about oh, yeah. that, as well as its sequel in a very different context. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now, where did they go, though, with Dark So this Castle? is interesting, because, like, you know, we got two hits on our hands. Like, we're doing pretty mm-hmm. well here with these William Castle remakes. So are we going to do, you know, are we going to go with the, the Tingler now? Or are we going to go with uh, maybe Mr. Sardonicus? You know? Are we going to do the punishment poll where the crowd gets to decide what happens to the bad yeah, guy at the end? Give it the uh, thumbs up card or flash their headlights. Yeah. Oh, man. The, the, or, you know, Homicidal had the fright break. Oof, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's so many things we can go with. Instead, what we got was a uh, ghost ship. The most generic title. Now, now, get this, though. It's not a William Castle movie. No. What are we doing, guys? Um, however, there was a 1950s horror film called Ghost Ship, yeah. uh, which, interestingly enough, I read a little bit up on this. I thought this was kind of fascinating because I don't think this has ever happened before or since. Uh, filmmaker Vernon Sewell. Uh, this was number three of four separate attempts to adapt a French play called, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the French. It's it's the French translation of the term The Medium. Wait, no, it's not. I'm sorry. I, I got my notes mixed up. It's uh, Languasse, hmm. I think is how it's said. I'm sure I'm, I'm messing that Languasse. up. Languasse. Okay. Uh, if my wife were in the room, she can correct me. She knows some French. But he, over the course of his career, attempted four different times to adapt this play that he loved. Wow. Uh, he did The Medium in 1934. That's where my notes overlap. Okay. Uh, he did uh, Latin Quarter in 45, and he did uh, Ghost Ship in 1952, and then House of Mystery in 1961. Huh. They're... Uh, the similarities here are that it's called Ghost Ship, and it is about a ghost ship that is actually a ghost ship. And that's about it? That's about it. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> if you think about the original 13 ghosts, uh, you know, that's about as close as you need to tie to the original, right? Yeah, with, with the original 13 ghosts, it... And again, like you brought up uh, in our previous conversations, 13 ghosts, one of the most egregious uses of the number replacement in a film. Oh yeah, we haven't mentioned that yet. Oh, oh my god, the the TE in 13 was uh stylized as the number 13. I'm sure working in a video rental store that shit had to be fucking unbearable. You know, it would have been had it not been so late in the word because you still you do an okay job being able to categorize it with 
you know, what do you have next to it is the movie 13. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, maybe the, what, the 13th warrior, but that's, that's the number 13. It goes at the beginning of the alphabet. Gotcha. We fortunately there weren't too many titles that close to it because it would have been just a disaster for me. I'd have I'd have I'd have you know taken my car off Dead Man's Curve at that point and been the torn clerk. <laughs> the torn clerk. Oh, I'm just got a bat and I'm all messed up behind the counter. I'm like just aggravated all the time and and lashing out at anybody asking for you know enemy at the gates or whatever was popular at the time. Why'd I pull that one? Jesus. I don't know. That that's a heck of a, a heck of a pull. Or Cold Mountain Cold in like 2002. Mountain. What other forgettable early wow. thousands movies were there? Uh, but uh, this film, Ghost Ship. So we're kind of doing our own thing now, and it's a weird. Uh, they, you know, they they had such a hard, much like the trying to figure out a gimmick for 13 Ghosts. I feel like they were working so hard trying to figure out how to uh, update Macabre and the Tingler that they just went, uh, you know what? I'm tired. Let's just do something else. Let's just uh, uh, go, uh, I don't know, there's a ship that's uh, haunted. And I think one thing that kind of hurt, too, is at the time, you know, we're looking at, uh, what was this, 2002 at this point? Mm-hmm. Um, the Matrix was blowing up, so Silver's a little busy. Yeah, Silver's definitely... You know, a lot of different people are working on different projects now. They got all this other stuff. So this is kind of getting pushed further and further into the background, this William Castle project that they have. Plus, horror is kind of headed a different direction from ghosts at this point. We're really banging on about ghosts here with these things. Like, I think it would have served them well to focus on, say, a straitjacket remake. Yeah, yeah. Or or do the tingler. You know, that's at least different. Right. You know, it's a, but I think we have a problem here where we're just, we're going back to the well at like a haunted something or other. And that, that's not going to become popular again for a while. I mean, you can only go back to that so many times before there's diminishing return. Right. Uh, What didn't help was this movie, which did not do nearly as well as the first two, opened against Jackass the movie. So Steve-O sunk this entire studio. (laughs) <laughs> Talking about a powerhouse. I mean, you've got Bam Margera, <laughs> Johnny Knoxville, you know the dead guy, the guy that put the 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 car in the condom and put it in yeah. his butt. Like, <laughs> imagine the humility, uh, the humiliation uh, rather of like you put a lot of work into yeah. like a, this big movie and it can't beat. These dudes are cutting each other on the webs of their fingers with a Manila envelope. Oh God! In the one in the in the creases of the yeah. lips, oh, or like fuck that. They, I'm gonna put on old age makeup and then projectile shit in public. You know, whichever jackass movie that was, they're yeah. all a blur to me. It, but uh, I thought this was uh, an interesting one uh, for me, though. Uh, living in Southern California, I I lived not far away from the Queen Mary. Hmm. Okay. Which is a decommissioned uh, 1940s cruise ship. Interesting. That had been used during World War II to transport uh, troops before going back to being a cruise ship, and it's now permanently docked in Long Beach, California, uh, and used primarily as a as a hotel or you know a, a place to uh, hold events. Yeah, you have haunts there. They do they, every year. They do a Halloween haunt there uh, mm-hmm. because the Queen Mary is famously allegedly very haunted. Uh, my father and I actually did go ghost hunting in the Queen Mary at one point. You wait, wait a minute. You've gone ghost hunting. I've gone ghost hunting with my dad okay. as a teenager Okay. Um, in the bowels of the Queen Mary. Did you catch any? No. Uh, ah, shit. Just a lot of being very quiet and listening for weird creaks. My dad very strongly believes in ghosts. Whoa. Uh, 
I am a skeptic. But uh but you know, I enjoy shit like that. So let's go. And uh No, totally. But you know, he's one of those guys that like you know, believes that the uh light reflecting off a speck of dust in a photograph is in fact a ghost orb. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh he once thought that some fo- he, he was he got really obsessed at one point with a photo of me easter egg hunting as a youngin. Okay. Uh because my grandmother's cigarette smoke got in the photo and he was convinced that was a spectral uh, oh, uh apparition. And I'm like, wow. "No, dad, it's just grandma's a chain smoker and she was holding the camera." <laughs> and uh he's like, "No, no, that's a ghost. See, it's kind of shaped like a shoulder." How, you know? And uh, he would, like, tape these photos on the insides of cabinets in our apartment and say, But how jealous of that are you? You know what I mean? Like, just to believe in something that well? Yeah, like, I have children, right? Like, I, I my nine-year-old, I'm still, we're still doing, like, the, the tooth fairy thing. And, and so, like, she'll just lose a tooth and I gotta, like, fuck, I gotta get up in the morning. Like, she lost a tooth at, like, midnight. And I'm like, what's open that I can go get? Because we don't do money. I, I'm trying to not make her a capitalist. Um, yeah, so I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to go get her, like, some little toy to replace the tooth with or, or whatever. I'm gonna go jam, a, jam a micro machine in her mouth. <laughs> That's how that works, right? You yeah, yeah you stick it where the where the hole was for the tooth. <laughs> it was really difficult. <laughs> and they wake up like, ow! And it's like, oh, the tooth fairy shoved a, <laughs> shoved a marble in my mouth. It was difficult. When I got her a slinky, it's, uh, but, but no, like, I, I try to keep that magic to her because, like, knowing what the world really is and just being like, ah, you know, I don't know. But at the same point, we're not like, oh, there's an afterlife or, you know, or any of that stuff, too. And, and I think the hardest part about being a parent is, is knowing, like, how to, um, dose out reality. Absolutely. To somebody. And and I don't fucking claim to have any. You know, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. And it's a line you have to walk too, because you you want them to have a little bit of whimsy in their life. You want them to believe in stuff, but you also don't want them exactly. to like, you know, be horribly disappointed by the uh, excruciating weight of reality. And so my move is like the minute she starts questioning anything, I'm gonna be like, "Yep, yeah, you're right. You got it." I want to encourage your being a skeptic and being, you know, smarter, quote unquote. But how nice would it be to to just be like, yeah, probably, probably fucking ghosts. Let's go find them. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna go get my shoes on. Absolutely, I would love uh, that. I've thought about that many times. Yeah, that's you so know, cool. Um, just like, why why is this happening? I don't know. Maybe ghosts. Maybe. You know, like, like that's kind of a cool idea. But you know, yeah. and I've certainly uh, let me let me ask mm-hmm. you this real quick. Have you experienced anything you couldn't explain? Um, have I experienced anything I can't explain? Something that uh, a less skeptic person would probably, you know, chalk up as a ghost encounter. So, probably myself, not so much. My wife, 100%. Yeah. Interesting. So, Is she a skeptic yeah, like you? Oh, yeah. So... I would assume as much, but you no, never she's know. crazy skeptic. Like I said, her, her parents were both police officers, so she she used to like sneak in and and review her mom's uh, or father's computer where they had all of their files and photos of crime scenes and shit. Man, 
So for her, it's like if if a cup moved across the table, this is alleged criminal. Activity. Yeah, and and so <laughs> exactly, someone's in the she's house. like, I got to figure this out. Um, but yeah. but so she's been in situations where there's things like lights turning on on their own and and and, and shit like that. Um, I haven't really had anything I would I would describe as being like paranormal. No, no, but but. Okay. I, I okay. get it. Like I, I want to. Yeah. I'm, I'm down. How about yourself? You're asking for one. I, like someone bring. Look, me man, one. bring me. Yeah, I'm here. Like I want to know what that feels like. I've had a, a couple things. Okay. You know, I had the classic. You know, the sleep paralysis. Uh, if you're a fan of documentaries, oh. check out The Nightmare from a few okay. years back. I, I didn't know we were getting into that. I used to suffer from sleep paralysis. I only bring that up. And I'm sorry that you did. Um, mm-hmm. I only bring that up because a lot of people, uh, that's what their paranormal encounter was. Okay. A lot of people believe they saw a demon or a shadow being or, you know, or a yep. ghost or whatever shadow it was people. or experienced that. But in reality, it was a, a bout of sleep paralysis. I had that a, a couple times as a child, not really as an adult. Um, but I've certainly had the, uh, you know, you can't move and there's a person standing at the edge of your bed or sitting on you or whatever it may be. And I've experienced those things when I was younger. Uh but I know what that is now, so obviously that wasn't a ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I had that um, as recently as maybe five years ago. Oh wow! Uh, which one did you yeah. get? Was it the old hag, or was it? No, the, I have uh, shadow people. The shadow well, people. Had of course. Just a shadow dude would just walk into the room. Yeah, and you see them, but you you cannot move, and you you uh, you're, you you want to just say, "Hey, get the fuck out of here." Like what's going on? But you can't, can't speak talk either. So you're just sort either. of stuck in this moment. Yeah, so you just kind of scream yeah. in your head. It's amazing how your brain will just like bully you relentlessly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I had that, and then I once had a, I guess the closest thing you could call this would be like a poltergeist type situation. Okay. Um, I was once uh, I'm trying to think of a way to say this very succinctly so we don't get into mm-hmm. a long story. I was dog sitting for a friend. Okay. In an apartment I used to live in. Okay. And it was, I lived in that apartment during a very, uh, a negative time in my life. So there's a lot of bad energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, one night I heard someone, I was in the bedroom, you know, dog sitting overnight while my friends were out of town uh, right. in their apartment. Because I was not getting along with my roommate at the time. So it was like, dope, empty apartment I can hang out in for the weekend. Let's do it. Totally. Yeah. Um, especially one I used to live in. I'm totally comfortable here, you know. And so I'm I'm chilling, and uh, I hear someone pacing in the living room. Okay. I'm definitely the only person here. Yeah. But someone's pacing back and forth in the living room. And I'm like, well, I'm clearly imagining this. And then the dog barked at it. Oh, no. <laughs> Fuck that. Peace, dog. And obviously, I, obviously I, I opened the door, you know. And I'm like, well, no one's here. <laughs> you know? And that sound definitely stopped. Uh... So I don't know about what the hell that was, but I, I definitely don't believe in ghosts. I'm sure it was just, you know, you know, energy is constantly swirling everywhere. I'm sure there was something there. Because the weird thing is it felt and sounded like when I used to do that. Huh. Yeah, weird, right? Interesting. Uh, okay. But, like, you know, I'm a pacer. Like, if I'm angry about something, I'm uh, I'm going to pace back and forth relentlessly. I'm going to dig a trench. You know, it's... Gotcha. And... uh and you know, rhythmically, and, and you know, it it just it felt like I was in the other room, angrily pacing around, but I knew no one was in there, and sure enough, nobody was. So yeah, it was almost like it was your energy being projected to the other room because you were laying there sleeping, but in your head you were screaming. 
Sure, because I'm thinking about like all the bad shit that happened yeah. last time I was in this apartment. I, I totally get that. And you pissed yeah. the dog off. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sure it's a logical explanation, but the dog barking and like, you know acting like someone was in the other room as well yeah, was the weird part. I'm like, oh, wait, you're here in this too? Because I was ready to write this off as my own imagination. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Absolutely, because you have an outside source of reacting yeah. to it also. Cool. It certainly could just be coincidence that I used to justify, not justify, but to... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for to uh, to verify that this yeah. is happening? Even though the dog might have been reacting to some other sound that she heard somewhere else, but happened to look in that direction and bark once, you know? Yeah, yeah, like a moth could have farted yeah. or whatever. Who knows? It's like, a dog, yeah. right? But you're like, oh shit, you just confirmed this. Yep, yep. This is actually happening. Meanwhile, I'm probably still asleep. Yeah, yeah. You're you're still thinking about like fucking that guy. Fuck him. Yeah. But this was a bit of a digression. Uh, no, that's fine. So, we're talking about ghosts on a ship. Yeah, so I would go ghost hunting with my dad in the Battles of the Queen Mary, and there's actually uh, quite a bit of influence in this movie with the Queen Mary. Okay. Because uh, there was, you know, allegedly ghosts in the pool of the Queen Mary, and just a couple of, uh, I think the idea, because it's, of course, Southern California, Los Angeles, you know, they're like, hey, you know that haunted, that big-ass haunted ship in Southern California? Yeah. Let's do a movie about a big-ass haunted ship. Yeah, it's easy to communicate to other people in the industry. Like, here's this thing we're all familiar with. Let's do it. Yeah. And so... Makes sense. Um, like the previous films, they, they they seem like with all these Dark Castle movies, they think of like a big set piece to open strong with. Mm hmm And uh, this one... Now, uh, remind me, Eddie, did you watch this one? No. You have never seen this I've one? I've never seen this one. Okay, well, the big money shot of this movie... Okay. Is um it's a flashback sequence. I believe it's the 40s, it might be the 30s. Uh a bunch of uh, you know, uh of of wealthy, I believe Italian people are having a big ball, a big gala. They're dancing in the big ballroom, you know. Mm -hmm. Think Poseidon Adventure, you know, you got the you, you know what a cruise ship looks yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um when suddenly uh and our and our there's a there's a little girl, Emily Browning from uh, Sucker Punch. Mm, okay. is a little girl in this and she's uh she's dancing on the captain's feet you know adorable right yeah yeah and everyone's having a great time when suddenly twang a high tension cable goes through the whole damn room oh i i vaguely recall this scene yeah this is sort of the only thing people remember from okay. this movie really yeah. is this scene is brutal in fact the artwork on the scream factory blu-ray is of you know a bunch of people all fucked right. up from a tension cable uh, that's mysteriously kind of arced up to Miss Emily Browning and decapitate the captain. Hmm. But it was just showing, like, you know, there was an attack, you know, um, yeah. on this uh, on this ghost ship that killed everybody. And then we flash to now, and uh, Gabriel Byrne and his uh, his his ocean crew are uh, they go out looking for ghost ships. They go out looking for shipwrecks where they can uh, sort of plunder the uh, the riches held within. Gotcha. And they find this ghost ship. So they're. they're... Pirates, kind of. They're kind of modern yeah. pirates, yeah. And, uh, you know, hilarity ensues as we end up on this. Of course. Uh, you know, it's all the things you'd <laughs> expect. We're going we're gonna to go through this haunted ship. It's, uh, we're kind of doing the same shit over again, but we're doing it now on a boat. Huh. So, you know, a bit of diminishing returns. You know, we're not going to deep dive as much. Ha, deep dive, yeah. Um, as we did on 13 Ghosts, because that was the one that really struck me. And I thought this one was pretty cool, this movie. Uh, we do have, uh, at one point, uh, you know, because she, we have, again, the friendly ghost amongst all the evil ghosts. So Emily Browning's ghost is on this ship. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to, to help our people. We also have a young Carl Urban as one of the crew members. Oh, wow. 
there was a lot of uh, the humor of the time for like 2002, though. It's just mostly a bunch of dude bros calling each other gay. Yeah, that's that's a problem with this movie. Rough. Uh, so <laughs> so Carl yeah. Urban's running around going hip gay at everything. So it's like that boat trip movie, but <laughs> yeah, but haunted. Uh, there's uh two things I want to point out real quick. Okay. Uh, well, three, actually. Uh, one of them is there's a scene where a person tries to hand a locket to a ghost Emily Browning, and it goes through her hand because she's a ghost. Well, right. And that character goes, you really are a fucking ghost. <laughs> <laughs> so the script might not be up you to really stuff. You really are a fucking one. ghost. Yeah. Uh, there, there's also a part where Emily Browning's ghost is trying to warn a human character of a, of a danger, and then one of the bad ghosts just Bill Goldberg spears her. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It may be worth a watch, Eddie, as a as an enjoyable might bad be, movie. Yeah, yeah. Somebody squares up and three point tackles a little <laughs> just, girl. I'm absolutely just spears sold. her out of her boots. Nice. And uh, the big thing for me now, I went and saw this one with my aforementioned little brother in our new metal hoodies. Okay. You know, I'm I'm uh, 19 years old. He's maybe 16 at this point. He might be 15. But the point is, the big ending. You know, we have. Uh, you know, the reveal that maybe the bad guy might still be around, you know, a glance from our evildoer. And uh, mm. immediately a song starts playing to, to get the credits rolling. And my brother and I look at each other wide eyed because it's a brand new Mudvade song. And it's the, the big opening single Ooh, off their yeah. second album before that album even came out. So this was the first time we were hearing it. And so this movie ends with the singer of Mudvayne screaming at you as the credits come up. Yeah, that was like with with 13 Ghosts, it's or with any of them the soundtrack they each have like, like strangely just doesn't connect with the content at all. It's just because it's of the time and who the target demo was. They're just like what are these kids listening to? Throw it on there. It's so weird. And I felt Manson worked like the 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 chords from the from his Eurythmics cover mm-hmm. uh, really worked in the tone of the asylum scenes in House on the Haunted Hill. Well, uh, yeah, because because he's covering Sweet Dreams, and and you've got the idea that like the movie itself is a cover, and and we're listening to a, a modern cover. Plus, it's nice and slow and down tempo, and and there's a lot of ethereal, dreamlike moments in that movie. Yeah, where we're going yeah. through the flashbacks at the insane asylum. Yeah, I don't know if Mudvayne necessarily evoked like <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Did... Not falling by Mudvayne <laughs> is the song, and uh, it opens just with a. <laughs> now maybe, but to not even do that on a jump scare is the really crazy part. It... That it's literally just a dude looks sternly at the camera, and then Chad Gray screams at us. If maybe they had covered like the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Now that I'd like to hear. I don't think they're the right band no. for that necessarily. I might give that to like a Volbeat, but that would still be a oh, pretty yeah, cool yeah, song. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> um, <laughs> Man, I just I, didn't, I hadn't even thought about that till just now. That just popped out. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> like, a good. No, obviously it's supposed to be Volbeat. Wait, duh, what? Totally. Like, except, except the only cover I've heard them do was a Young the Giant cover. Yeah, I, I don't know if they could match the uh, Bruce Dickinson vocals, but you know, certainly not. But uh, but that was a big like you know, you know these two dorks in the audience in their hoodies turn and go oh my god, <laughs> this Woo! movie's cool. Monday. Everybody's like what the fuck. And at this point, I'm way too old to be marking out so hard for these movies. I know, but 
I, I love it. I but really I'm, I'm do. I'm sorry you like, missed that one. So needless to say, that went on my employee picks shelf at the Hollywood Video when it hit VHS. Oh man, I would love. I would. You know what you've got to do? You've got to do a uh, Bobby Trippett employee picks <laughs> website. Oh man. And oh what would I be God, covering would on be this the website? Best. Am I talking about the ones that just, just, were my employee picks back in the day? Yeah, absolutely. And like, dig up all the ones that I put on the shelf because yes, because man, when you're at when you, how great is it when you're a, when you're in your late teens and you're discover and you're a movie guy, you know, and you're discovering all these films, mm-hmm. and you just you want to share it with everybody. You're like, hey, have you guys seen Marathon Man? And they're like, look, man, I'm just here to get the new Rush Hour movie. You're like you. You should get a copy of Marathon Man, though. That, that you know, you can buy one get one free this weekend. You should take this home and watch it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the the cool thing is the consumer is you find the employee that you you're like totally you and me, Dave. We have the same fucking taste in movies. And you'd get those relationships too. I had a handful of regulars that would come to talk to me because they knew that we if I liked it, they probably would too. Yeah, this is the guy that recommended to me Donnie Darko, Requiem for a Dream, and Pi. And I'm like, yeah, this you're the dude. guy. And so when he's like, man, check it out, Memento. You're, you know you're going to like Memento. And then, you know, you grow up a little bit and you're like, I don't, I don't know if Requiem for a Dream was that good. Yeah, it doesn't hold up over time. Memento no. does, though. Pi does. Pi does, for sure. Man, I'm trying to, like, think about what movies were coming and going while I was at at the video store like what was the new shit people were into everyone's like hey how's dragonfly i'm like never mind dragonfly yeah this is the the, i'm telling you this is the bobby trippet podcast (laughs) it's the bobby (laughs) recommends that's that's exactly it so bobby blowing the dust off of vhs tape from the back of the store (sighs) yeah oh god that'd be so good so bobby do you recommend the last movie we're gonna cover the last movie we're going to cover. The 2005 House of Wax. Uh, oh, no, we, no, sorry. We forgot Gothica. You know, that's... Because everybody very, else uh, did. Apropos, Eddie, <laughs> because uh, most people forgot Gothica. Uh, I saw yeah. Gothica, and I mostly forgot Gothica. I'm mm-hmm. going to give you a, a brief thing on Gothica. Go I for it. You haven't seen that one, too, right? No, I haven't. I saw the cover of it, like, repeatedly, and uh, I think Yeah, that cover just, like, permeated everything at the time. It was everywhere. Yeah, blue-washed actress deal. of, yeah, Halle Berry with uh, her arms cut up. Yeah, and she's just, it says, like, help me, and she's pressed against glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is, um, let's see if I remember this, uh, I believe she's a psychologist, and she wakes up one day, and she is in an asylum, uh, having murdered her husband, and, uh, and her friend, Robert Downey Jr., a pre-Iron Man Robert Downey Jr., oh. that's how they got him for Gothica, um, is the doctor assigned to her, and it's just a lot of, uh, it's like a really watered down uh, version of the previous stuff. Also, not a William Castle movie. Um, so we've abandoned the William Castle thing, and now Dark Castle is just sort of a generic horror uh, production company. Yeah, it's becoming a full moon. Twisted Pictures absolutely is very quickly, even a Blumhouse half the time. Uh, but the thing that stands out for me about this is it's just so incredibly dull. You know, it was really just nothing. What stands out is how dull it is. It's almost remarkable how unremarkable this movie is. Um, But one fun little thing, though, is Susan Levin of Dark Castle uh, met Robert Downey Jr. on this movie, and she is still Susan Downey to this day. So at least somebody found love out of it. That's that's great. And man, right before he got the Iron Man gig, shit. I mean, that's... Well done. Yeah, yeah, that's... 
back when he was kind of a mess. I mean, you're talking buy low, sell high, right? I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Like, damn. But uh, yeah, so we don't really need to get much into Gothica. I don't think that's anybody's favorite movie. Yeah, it sounds almost like a, a bad version of The Cell. It kind of kind of felt like that. I really think The Cell is a much better picture. And I don't I don't think anybody would argue that. The Cell's beautiful. But uh, so we're coming off of a real uh, we've hit a real thud now. You know, Ghost Ship underperformed, but Gothica was a real stinker. And we're we've lost the castle, and we're just dark. Yeah, we're just dark, and so. You know, somewhere in the background, people still working on Tingler, yeah. still talking about making that, but, like, no one can crack the code of what to do. The Tingler's a very simple story, you guys, for anyone listening who doesn't know this. There's this little creature. It looks like a like a centipede, and uh, it's an alien in uh, in origin, but it gets into the base of your... Uh, a base of your brain, it goes up your spinal cord, and it kind of like lays on, your, lays against your spine and lives inside your body. And uh, it feeds on uh, your fear. And uh, you have to scream to release that, or it will kill you when you're afraid. So, still figuring out how to update that for a modern audience. Yeah, it seems pretty simple. Doesn't seem that hard. Pretty cool movie, the old one, honestly. Uh, they do a great trick in the original one, where... Uh, the tingler gets loose in the theater, so you see, like, the, the film oh, kind yeah. of stalls and, uh, I believe, even melts on the screen. And then you see that the uh, the tingler has killed the projectionist because the shadow goes across the screen. Yeah, and then uh, Hulk Hogan stands up. He says, Gremlins, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and during that time of, like, you'll know the tingler has got you because you'll feel the, uh, the electric, you know, shock through your spine. And that's when they'd zap the seats. They'd give you a little zap on your bottom. And if you felt that, you have to scream. Maybe, maybe VR is going to be the next move for horror. As, as VR gets, <laughs> like, cheaper and more accessible, um, I like with, with the Oculus Quest, we can, we can do it wirelessly and watch movies. Maybe maybe something to that effect, where it, it integrates with uh, augmented reality. So your your VR uh, headset shuts off, and, and it's like, ah, oh, right, well, the, the movie crashed, and you're looking around, and all of a sudden there's a bug, like on the ceiling or some shit. There's <laughs> a big-ass bug. I'd be into that. But uh, they can't seem to figure it out. We've, been had, we've had a few people. I think Joe Lynch was attached to it at one point. Uh, we got some uh, some people to this day are still trying to figure out like what's a cool way to do the tingler, and I think it's just gonna be one of those things where we just never never get it. It's like Todd McFarlane making another Spawn movie. It's like yeah, you keep talking about it, but you're gonna die before that happens. It's gonna be Duke Nukem forever. Yeah, it's just not gonna. And if it does happen, it's not gonna be worth all that trouble. So they're like, okay, we need to. They make an attempt. You know, like we need to do something here. We need to bring something back. Got to bring it home. We got to get back to brass tacks. We got to get back to our roots. We've already kind of done the big William Castle ones, though. Like the two were like his heaviest hitters. The rest of them, like, I don't know how well we could do with the old dark house. You know, and we want to get away from the haunted house stuff. He produced Rosemary's Baby. Maybe no, no, that's not gonna work. It's not really one of his. No, you know? we're not gonna redo Rosemary's Baby. Come on. Are we gonna do Macabre? No. So, you know what we should do, though? Let's just pick another big-time 50s horror film. What what can we get that, like, has a name recognition, of course, you know, that we can turn into something fun? And so which movie did they go with, Eddie? Well, they went with House of Wax, and it's an interesting pick. Decent choice. Yeah. So question for you, Eddie. How are we going to update 
this slow burn 1953 Vincent Price movie for a post-millennial teenage audience? Well, uh, what we're going to do is we need, first of all, we need star power. Absolutely do. Uh, what do we got? We got uh, we got one of the kids from Supernatural. Uh huh. Uh huh. That works. Um, that's a start. It's a start. We need more. Getting of there. We we need instant name recognition. Like who's someone everyone knows? In two thousand five, like who is a per a household name we can get oh, for this movie? About uh Paris Hilton. That's hot. You know what? You know what? Off off the beaten path. I think I think we're on to something here. <laughs> You know, we can work with this. I got it. We'll promote it as See Paris Die. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I got to admit, I'm on. Like, I'm on board. Like, the most irritating celebrity of 2005. We're going to put her in a movie, and we're going to fucking kill her. Imagine if, if right now a movie came out, and it's like, look, you're going to see uh, Donald Trump get raped to death. I think you're going to sell some tickets. Like, it's not for everybody, but I think you're going to sell some tickets. Look... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go see it. And uh, that's kind of what they did with this. And also from a tonal perspective, like, how do we update the feeling of that? I don't know. Make it an '80s slasher. Yeah, let's make it an '80s slasher. That's during a time when no one cared about '80s slashers, <laughs> right? Especially teenagers in 2005. Yeah, it's basically like Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. Yeah, and what it ends up being very similar to is uh, 79's Taurus Trap. Which, you know, makes sense. That's right at the beginning of the slasher boom. It's like they're going for early slasher movie, uh, which is really just nothing like the original House of Wax. Which also, by the way, House of, early, original House of Wax, have you seen the 53 movie? Mm-hmm. First of all, that's a remake. Second of all, wow, much like The Thing. It's like, no, that's actually already a remake. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a, was it Mystery at the Wax Museum from the 30s, I think it was? was House of Wax was a remake already. Oh, wow. And released in 3D. I did not know that. Damn. So it was a gimmicky remake from the 50s. I was like, okay, I could see kind of what we're doing here. We're, we're Now we're getting meta. <laughs> we're remaking a remake with a gimmick. I mean, do you think they, they had that discussion? We're going to be meta about <laughs> I don't think at all. No. I think that's just me looking back on it now. Yeah. yeah. They're remaking but, Waxworks. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh... I find this one very interesting, Eddie. And you just rewatched this, yes? I, I, uh, not the most recently, but yeah, yeah, I have. You have seen it fairly recently. Fairly, though. yeah. Um, what I find interesting about this is it's, um, it's so much an 80s slasher movie that if this exact movie had come out in 82, it would be revered as one of the great ones. And I don't mean like all time classic scary movie. I meant like the great bad ones from the 80s. I think this would stand next to, you know, Madman, <laughs> and uh, and maybe Sleepaway Camp. Uh, I love Sleep Sleepaway Camp, but for the wrong reasons. Yeah, it's same. Yeah, I I I could definitely see this as being um, infamous because everyone in this movie and is the dumbest character you've ever seen. <laughs> everyone to exactly. a man, like oh everyone in this movie God. is like tragically yeah. stupid to they a get, point where it becomes up. funny watching this movie. Yeah, you're rooting against them. You have to. And and all the plot movements are predicated on the characters being the dumbest people in the world. Yeah, making the stupidest mistake you possibly could. Like, I, I'm i uh, fucking around on the GPS. I found a shortcut. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, well, there's a detour, but whatever. We're, we're just going to drive that way. Ah, uh, fuck it. Let's go ahead and camp. Somebody pulled up in their truck. <laughs> 
I'm going to wing a beer bottle at him. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Some guy cat called my hot girlfriend. I'm mad at her for being hot. It's like all the stuff you would see in an old early 80s slasher movie and laugh at. And uh, I find that makes this movie strangely enjoyable for me because I absolutely love early slasher movies. Well, that's what I was thinking about is I think you could 100% make this style slasher movie today where everybody's deplorable and I want them dead. And uh, funny enough, you know, when this movie came out, it, it didn't do great. You know, it was sort of, eh, everyone's just kind of like, that no. movie sucks. But there's a swell of support for that movie now. Really? And I think for the reason that you're saying, I think people, it's one of those movies, not quite to the same extent as, you know, like a Jennifer's Body or a Halloween 3, but there's a lot of people these days kind of looking back on these ones that they didn't give a chance to back in the day. And this is one of the movies from fairly recent history where they went, you know, this is actually kind of a fun movie. But I think it's that, you know, ironic distance you know it's like this is kind of a fun movie because it sucks so entertainingly hard i i totally follow that how would you do that i i really think you could do that again today well you have to go either one direction or the other you either have to go tucker and dale versus evil or you have to go a hundred percent the other direct and i think that's the key isn't it like you you can't show your hand you have to play it completely straight for it to work. And just, you can't be like, ha-ha, remember how stupid these are? We're making a deal. You can't Sharknado this shit. Of these movies, I think like the one that would probably be, would go down the easiest nowadays if you wanted to watch one, I'd say House of Wax is probably it. Um, but the one of them that I had the most fun kind of rewatching was uh, 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 13 Ghosts. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because it definitely feels like antiquated. Not as much as House on Haunted Hill. House on Haunted Hill feels mm-hmm. old, you know. It definitely does. Like it feels like a relic that you've found. And uh, this particular film does have a couple enjoyable set pieces. I think it's great at the end when everything melts and we're kind of doing the uh, Nancy Thompson running up the stairs bit. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah. Like our feet are sinking into everything and it's like we go real big toward the end of that. That was such a great scene in Nightmare too. Like like just uh the old Bisquick steps. The old Bisquick steps, yeah. Uh one of these days I will get my episode of Nightmare on Elm Street out. I can't wait for it. It's one of you know, anyone who anyone who knows me uh from my show uh knows that I am a die hard Freddy Krueger fan, so I'm Anxiously awaiting hearing a a big episode about Nightmare. But do you know how to do the Freddy? (laughs) I do. I've heard uh, Freddy's greatest hits. So great. Normally, at this point in the the podcast, when we... Well, unless you have anything else you want to cover about House of Wax real quick. No, I think I I generally cover the most of it. You know, the the violence is, uh, is very brutal in that. Like, it's... Which actually makes sense because at this point we're competing with, you know, what had taken over in the horror genre at this point uh, was torture porn, which I am no fan of, honestly. Uh, but, uh, which is funny because, like, I'll take extreme brutality in a slasher uh, environment. You know, if Jason rolls in and does a lot of crazy stuff, I just don't like lingering on somebody getting tortured. That doesn't really do it for me. So I, I was okay with Saw 1. Sure, that um, was interesting. It was yeah. new. I kind of got what they were going with with Hostel 1. 
I was so-so on that one myself, but I'm with you. Ah, uh, but that's about it. And by the time you get to, like, captivity, you know, or uh, there's just so many, the collector, uh, none of those work for me. Like, it's just, it's, it seems kind of lazy and boring to me, honestly, just watching somebody sit around being, being brutal as. Uh, yeah, it seems cheap. But, the, you know, what it did lead to, of course, is in House of Wax, the violence is very intense. Like, we're getting, like, Achilles getting severed through the floor by things, and uh, I think, was it, uh, Paris got, like a, like, a, like, a pipe through the face? Was that what it was? Yeah, she uh, didn't go well for Paris. They had to give her a big one. You yeah. know, that had to be the big, the big one that they build everything around because that's what they sold this movie on is see Paris Hilton die, which I don't think, I don't know any other movie that's done that, honestly. I guess maybe that was the William Castle gimmick, right? I guess, you know, this was a, was this an homage to Straight Jacket? Was this like, <laughs> come watch this I mean, difficult maybe... woman get, get hurt? <laughs> yeah, come watch the lady that you hated from the farm uh, uh, get injured. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're also at this point, 2005, we're leaving new metal. And so, uh, we're bridging out of new metal by, uh, pumping in some My Chemical Romance, which really just, that, everything about House of Wax there for Dark Castle felt like, you know, the wheels are coming off this thing, man. We're just running out of steam. Yeah. It, it almost felt like the, uh, the machine under the 13 ghost house. <laughs> After the uh, the nanny uh, flipped all the switches and and the gears are spinning out of control, uh, we're trying to hold it together. But uh, yeah, Dark Castle Entertainment they didn't really hold it together. I mean, they kept going, they kept making movies for a while. But yeah, and as recently as 2017, they've still had their names attached to stuff. Um, you know, there was like a straight to video return to the house on Haunted Hill that I never saw, and I don't think anyone else did either. Uh, Rock and Rolla was a dark. I saw castle. that one actually. Guy Ritchie. Um, it was all right. He's hit and miss for me, honestly. It's it's usually okay. Uh, one thing I thought was an interesting one was they uh they did a Walter Hill movie. What? Yeah, Bullet to the Head, starring uh Sylvester Stallone and Jason Momoa. Wow. It is made by Walter Hill, and you know what? It's okay. I, okay. It's not uh it's not gonna make anyone's top ten list, but it's worth a watch. I mean, you know what? I'm hung over on some afternoon. I might have to check that out. Yeah, weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> Dark Castle made a uh Well huh. Joel Silver's early one of his earliest uh jobs movies that he worked on was The Warriors. Okay, yeah, I mean yeah, okay. so Yeah, that does track. That makes sense. Throughout the if you look through Dark Castle's filmography, there's a lot of uh a lot of giving back. You know, there's a lot of uh, calling in favors. They bring in a lot of filmmakers and different people that they've worked with years ago, and they're like, we'll we'll get you in on something. Yeah, and, and plus, like with Robert uh, Silver and Zemeckis, you've got a stable of talent that they they tend to work with. You know, they're very much the type of of filmmakers and the type of creatives that like if they like you, they're gonna want to work with you again. Yeah, you're gonna see a lot of Bill Sadler. You're gonna see a... <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, love him um, by the way. But uh, so while it, it definitely uh, it lost focus very quickly and it fizzled out because of how young I was uh, at the time, it was just it came along at exactly the right time with exactly the right tone for what I was looking for. And so I thought it was interesting for us to have this discussion because I wanted to talk about uh, something that most people, including myself, wouldn't put a lot of stock in today, but meant so much to me when they happened. Yeah, well, that's, and that's, again, why... 
And I think we all have those. I, with this podcast, that's what I wanted to really embrace was what, what was formative for people uh, specifically in horror. That, that's, uh, and it's interesting, yeah, because Dark Castle, I never would have thought of that. I, it never would have uh, uh, struck me. Like for me, it was, you know, your Tales from the Crypt, which is funny because it's adjacent. You know, it's Silver, Zemeckis. It's very, very similar. And, and trying to capture that feeling of an older thing, you know? Of the 50s and 60s horror. Yeah. 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 Uh, at this point in the podcast, uh, what I generally will do is I will ask for a pairing. And, and what I mean by that is, so we, we've talked about some movies here that have a particular feel or a particular vibe, whether it's A House on Haunted Hill or 13 Ghosts, maybe something that harkens back to a more classic style of horror that uh, uh, is newer or, or more modern uh, that, that we could uh, uh, recommend to our listeners. So, Oh, I've absolutely got an answer for that. Oh, you do? Yeah, and I've, uh, I briefly mentioned it earlier in this very podcast, but uh, I think uh, James Wan's Insidious. Okay, James Wan's Insidious. I haven't seen this yet, so... Oh, it it uh, I think it, it pairs perfectly with especially something like a Thirteen Ghosts. Really, because, uh, it's another movie that feels intentionally like you're, you know, well, like you're in the cart going through a dark ride at a carnival. You know, uh, it's a haunted house story, uh, and the ghosts that inhabit this house—it's it's a house haunted by several ghosts, by multiple ghosts, and they each have distinct personalities and persona. Hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, since you haven't seen it, Eddie, I'll, I'll sell it to you here. It's, um, it's, uh, the big tagline was, it's not the house that's haunted, it's your son. Uh-huh. And okay. so this, uh, this well-to-do couple, uh, one of their sons falls into essentially a coma. You know, he falls asleep and he can't wake up. They don't know why. They can't figure it out. And, uh, that happens to coincide with a, uh, a slew of paranormal in, in encounters that happen in this house. And, you know, they try to move to another house, and shit just starts happening there now, too. And that's when they realize, you know, that their son has somehow become haunted by multiple spirits, by multiple beings. Hence the, and, the title. And I won't give serious. anything away beyond that, but this is a... Uh, this came out in 2011. Uh, there, It spawned a whole, you, you know, several sequels, none of which are really worth your time. But... uh. But uh, this one that came out in 2011, I, I swear by, it's really, I think it's a great movie. And uh, legitimately some very chilling stuff, legitimately a lot of scares. Uh, and a really throwback old school feel in a modern setting, which I think fits perfectly. I think that if, come 2011, if Dark Castle had been a significant studio still, uh, with the same MO, I think they absolutely would have been the ones responsible for putting out a movie like Insidious. Huh. That, yeah, that sounds right up my alley. It's funny too because that that's almost beating the punch of the, uh, uh, the omen kind of resurgence that we've had recently with the the you can't trust your child. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Oh, certainly. We're terrified of children at this point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it shows that horror always follows what society is concerned about right now. Yeah. Which is why in the last year or so, we've gotten so many, you know, world's deadliest game adaptations of just, you know, the the rich using us as 
as toys and fuel for whatever they want. Well, that's why in the the They Live episode, I actually said the Purge would be a good pairing for that because it's like okay. the same story but from the opposite side. <laughs> uh, oh, absolutely. I think that's a great choice. I, I might even go so far as to say the Purge too because you have more of a Nada character with the uh, Frank Grillo. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, for my pairing with this, it's uh, a little bit older, uh, 2009. I'm going to go with House of the Devil. Ooh, great in choice. That it's your kind of like House of Wax classic slasher-esque uh, home invasion-y movie, but, but done a little bit differently. A um, little lower budget, a little like uh, lesser known people at the time. Incredibly well acted, though, and if you haven't seen House of the Devil, I mean, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> right. You know? It's got Tom Noonan in it. Come on. You, you cannot beat that. Mm -hmm. And really, just Come some on. great, great tonal stuff, some great ambiance. The stuff with the headphones is great, and just really shocking moments that you don't see coming. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Absolute classic for its time. Mm -hmm. And, and the, uh, the house itself is a character, just like I would say the house in House on Haunted Hill and 13 Ghosts. Certainly. Yep. All right, Bobby. Well, thank you very much for joining me tonight to record this episode. Um, Eddie, it's been a pleasure, man. I had a really good time. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. And uh, so, Bobby, is there anything you would like to promote? Oh, I mean, my home turf, the grind bin, if, if anybody here isn't already familiar with it, from Eddie's multiple appearances, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, grindhousefilm.com. You know, we're all over the internet at grindpod. And uh, check out our show. If you like our show, check out our Patreon. That's about my only real hustle going on right now that I'd have to promote. Yeah, like I'll always say, uh, go check them out at uh, patreon.com slash grindbin. They, they make... I will. I will say, uh, by comparison to this show, we 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 certainly squirrel off a lot more on the grind. <laughs> I feel like you and I had a had a, just a nice conversation here on the grind bin. We're we're goofing. Yeah, yeah. I I tend to be a little bit more unhinged when I guest because that's what I try to bring to the show. But uh, no, I've had a wonderful conversation with you here about about uh, the the history of Dark Castle Entertainment, Bobby. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed this, and I hope uh, at some point I can come back. Of course. You're always welcome. You just have to figure out another thing that's oh, really important to you. <laughs> oh, there's so many. <laughs> we can definitely do. And, of course, you know, you'll, def you'll likely be on our show again well, soon. You're, you're a regular. You know, we'll, we'll see uh, if I'm available. <laughs> right, right. You, might, you might big time me and not return my text. Yeah, of course. All right, guys. So thank you for listening to the Bloody Bits Horror Show. And uh, yeah, this is how I end it. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>